There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Scoot! Corey Perry! Well, you're able to shake away from Solani. It's getting away to Solani. Around in front. Go! Oh, nothing hey. today. Okay. All right. All right. Left me hanging. Thanks. <laughs> Waiting for you to do whatever you it is that you wanted to do. Uh, Your lowest nose. I couldn't get you. I just laughed. Just blanked. Just blanked in the moment. Eh? Love it. All right. Well, we're uh, we're back. Draft preview show finally. Just cut, cutting it under the wire four days before the draft, but. We're we're getting it out there. It's one of my favorite shows. I know this is one of your favorite shows, Jay. Right? You've got. Your... I have. I have zero idea. Uh, besides <laughs> Shane Wright, is like I, all I know is like all right. Then like the next nine guys are kind of good, and then after that, no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's <laughs> find your diamond in the rough, accurate. and let's move yeah. on. <laughs> let's see. That's accurate of every draft every year. It's one mm-hmm. or two guys. The rest, the next six or seven, are okay, and it's a, just a crapshoot after that. <laughs> why they do two through seven on a separate day is so that hopefully someone will just click over randomly yeah. <laughs> find watching, themselves in the middle of the fourth round watching rounds two for set two through seven on tv is the most chaotic and unenjoyable experience ever <laughs> it's just round two is okay three is not so bad and then four through seven just like fly by and they talk about like one or two guys around and mm-hmm. they go to commercial break, and you come back, and ten picks have been made. <laughs> you, have yeah, to, like, you have to try and like scramble back. Like it, it's just up. so much easier to just follow Twitter at that point for, for whoever's at the draft, and uh, just figure out who who gets drafted at that point. Yeah, I would say like after the first two rounds, it's kind of like, all right, now everyone's got their little what they think is the diamond in the rough of who's going to help out the team. It's like. Yeah. it's not going to be important today. It's not going to be important next season. It might be important three seasons down from yeah. down, you know, from now, but you know, at this point, there's no reason to really kind of yeah, go through that. You can't process. even get like the, like past you and Zellberger were considered steals at the draft. You're like, okay, like they could be. And then you didn't really get an idea of how right that take was until this season where they both kind of popped off. Mm-hmm. So you get like, you get some early, looks the next season after but yeah you don't get the full product 
two, three, four years down the road, unless you know it's the first round pick and the guy jumps right in to the lineup right after that, right? But even McTavish, like, looked like an okay pick at three. It was a little bit of a reach. Now it looks great. Looks like yeah. he could be one of, but you know, one season makes all the difference in that sense. A, a great season from him, and now it looks like he could potentially be. I, right now, just based off projections and the way guys have done, like he's probably at the top of that list in terms of, you know, being the most NHL ready and the guy who could have the most impact. Now, obviously, Power is going to play next year, and a few of those other guys are going to play, so that will, you know, that gap will will shorten a little bit. But right now, I think he's given himself the best shot to be the best player out of the draft, or at least the best player the soonest out of that draft. Yeah, I, I got to stop paying attention. Once they don't have highlights of the dude who just got picked, like if they're not showing him doing things, like at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, he's obviously not worth my time. If they're not even showing, you know, oh, cool, look, he does these skates in practice. They don't even show that. If they don't do it, like, oh, he got it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good in these ways, and they start just listing him down. I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, round one's good for that because you get – you get to they look at them with their family, too, so. and then you get the, the they break <laughs> it down for a good you know two three minutes in between the next pick, and they're like they take their time between picks. Like when the pick is in, they'll still wait a little bit and finish their talk. Round two is a little bit like that, and then yeah, round three, four, five, six, seven. After that, it's just like rapid fire through the picks, yeah. and then they'll 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 have their guys they they kind of pick based on whatever, and they've got film for. But usually, it's not your guy. I think the Ducks were lucky last year that the first three picks and then maybe one of their later picks got some coverage on tv which was nice but it's because they they ended up picking guys that were supposed to go a lot higher yeah uh but yeah okay well we're into our 2022 draft preview like i said four days from the draft we were supposed to we had plans to be there before the pandemic this was supposed to be last year when it was supposed to be in montreal uh obviously we're not we're not in montreal it's not not working but uh it was the closest though yeah yeah, I'm not not going to Quebec. Not not a chance. <laughs> not, not, not a chance. Even didn't want to really go to Quebec before before when everything was yeah. fine. But uh, it's it's not happening. And I got just I mean it's great for them. It worked out in the sense that Montreal gets the first overall pick, and it's in Montreal. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't help. Did, the, didn't the it skeptics. only happen like one other time? That the home like that team happened. has had the first overall pick? Yeah. And I also yeah, felt I like it, it was another the, Canadian team, too. I think it was in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't happened. I know, like, there's been a few where uh, they've had, like, a top three pick, um, and it's worked out. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't help the skeptics. The moment Montreal won, even though I think yeah, they, they had the best odds oh, anyway. The they're yeah. like, oh, God, they rigged it so they could have the it's first rigged. pick at home. <laughs> I, I always <laughs> – always, but – I'll, uh, from now on, I'm always going to tweet out just before they announce who the winner is. I'm going to say rigged because just I want to be the first because you know, that's the way it's always going to go. It's rigged. Whoever won is it's rigged. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. No, you guys, no before we get to the draft, uh, no Batman at the cup because uh, he had COVID. The cup celebration uh, and they he still got booed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the chance to see because uh, shocker, I was playing hockey, so I missed it, but. That really happened. They just poofed. yeah. They had uh, was Bill Daly was presenting it, and uh, he mentioned something about Batman. about Batman. I don't know what it was. Something about him. Yeah, they. Uh, it was a, it was a slow boo, That's be slow like quiet the longest boo. Tradition right yeah. mm-hmm. easier to boo him when he's there in person. Uh, but yeah. they just booed the mentioning of his name, and they quick, they quickly moved on. So <laughs> I love fans. That's great. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about who the Ducks get at 10. 
a little bit about who the Heat at 22. Some of the guys that should be gone before <coughs> 10. Uh, break down there it is, two. Steven. Yeah. We needed that at the beginning. Two, what? Seven minutes too late. um and then we're gonna dive into a little bit of some of the trades that could happen we talked about that on on a couple shows before this about gibson who the ducks could look at uh some news came out today that the ducks are still in on chicken which isn't really news they've been in on chicken since he was available and they're in the mix with like 10 other teams so but they're still in the mix so we'll talk about that what could happen what guys could get moved out the door what guys could come in and then really whatever we want to talk about from there on out Real quick, just out of curiosity, I think it could be an interesting way to start the conversation, is what do you guys feel that Anaheim should be looking for in this draft? Like, what are like areas of concern for you or skill sets that you think are lacking? Everything except goaltending. <laughs> Quite honestly. It's not like, wrong. Like, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to need defense. We're going to need, you know. Uh, it's real simple. Just get another Makar. If you can find another Makar, just sure, pick yeah. him and then gold. You're, yeah. you're good. So, I mean, but they, they need forwards. They need guys who can finish plays. Uh, they're going to need center depth. They're going to need wingers. They're going to need defense. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. They need a lot of things right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm kind of in, in the same boat. Um, like, you've got your core pieces. Like, I, I'm not sold forever. Zegris is going to be a center. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to getting another center, a guy who could be like a second or, or third line center in hopes that if Zegris isn't the center, then McTavish becomes the number one center and you have another guy who could slot in. Or um, So I don't think it's the biggest need, but I'm not opposed to taking a center um, at 10 or at 22 to kind of add to that depth. Defenseman, I think, should be you use one of those first round picks on a defenseman. I think with Lindholm out the door, Manson might come back, but with him getting moved, the Ducks do have some good young defensemen, Zellweger, Lacombe, Thrun, on the way, and obviously Drysdale on the team. But I think outside of Drysdale, the potential for Zellweger, there isn't anybody who screams top four defenseman right now that is like a lock to become that or is on their way to becoming that. I think Lacombe and Thrun... And, and some of the other guys the Ducks have in the system could get there, but that's like the high-end ceiling of their projection is they become a top-four defenseman, the more likely they become kind of a bottom-pairing guy. So I think if you're looking at like the top end of the draft, depending who's available, I think I think that should be kind of the big add somewhere with the, one of those first three picks is a defenseman with high upside. You know, there could be some risk involved and fine with that, but somebody who on the top end of their projection looks like a guy who could be like a 2-3-4 would be... I think a big need just to, to kind of bolster that prospect pool. Cause it wasn't long ago where the ducks were considered one of the best teams at producing and drafting defensemen. Right. And then we either traded them all out the door or, you know, run them, run them into the ground with guys like Larson and, and Mahura. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind adding a few more of those guys in. Yeah. I think that's kind of it for me is, you know, like I, I was trying to just like think about like kind of just like questions going into the draft that I felt like, should be kind of like a guiding light. And like the questions I came up with is who plays with Drysdale? Who plays with Zellweger? What happens if Zellweger busts? Uh, where are the goals coming from? How many top six guys do we still need? And what if Terry regresses? These are like, to me, like those are the main questions that I think kind of need to be addressed going into this draft. And I think for me, I would really, really like to see Anaheim come out of this draft with a couple of 
big defensive prospects, like just physical specimens. And there's a lot of guys in this draft kind of sprinkled throughout the first handful of rounds that have different levels of upside, but there are plenty of very large boys that um, can become real menaces. Oh, um, man. On the blue line and stuff. But no, I just, you know, but the other one for me is is just like goal scoring. Like, I agree. Like, there's just like, there's just a lack of finishing talent in the top six. And I think McTavish looks like he could step in and solve some of that. Yeah. Um, but you can't expect one guy to fix that problem entirely. And Terry and Zegris are both facilitators first. So for me, having guys who are going to step in and shoot, because like, I'm not a there's nothing in Perot yet to be confident in, right? There's nothing yeah. in Pastiov to be confident in. There's nothing. So. There's nothing in the lineup or about to be in the lineup, other than really McTavish, that you can say, okay, this guy could score twenty five, thirty goals a season mm-hmm. for the team. Yeah. And even even with McTavish, you're, you know, that's the hope, and it looks like he could get there, but he's not there yet. So the more swings you have at, at guys that could do that, and like yes, Terry just had an excellent season, but he's still not a shot first guy. That's not where. You know, he, he doesn't project as a 30-goal scorer because of his shot because he's a guy who shoots the puck a lot. He's just a really skilled player. He gets himself into good positions, and he can score goals in a lot of different ways. He still could be that player, but again, you don't know. So there, there really is no surefire thing. You know, we'll get to trades, but, you know, if you bring in Debrinkit, that's a surefire guy. You know he's going to score 40 a season. He's got the skill set and the, the proof to do that. But, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like, the Ducks need some more guys who project to be – goal scorers at the NHL level, at least 20 goals, and then defensemen to, to kind of flesh out that pool in case Selweger doesn't pan out, in case some of the other guys don't work out, and then who's going to play with Drysdale long-term? Because right now it's just Drysdale and Fowler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to do anything to address the the issues they have currently. What they have currently, that's going to have to come through either free agency or trade. Yeah. Whatever they're getting, that's just for, for down the road at this point, um, you know, with the, the 10th and the 22nd. It's just those guys don't usually jump in in the next season. Uh, it usually takes a couple of seasons down the road. So, yeah, building that pipeline is great. Uh, I think they gotta they got to kind of redo that or refocus on what uh, Verbeek wants to do as far as the team he sees. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at this point it's in such a rebuild. I, I don't know if you just go with the best available, whatever position, whatever it is. Um, obviously if you have a lack at a certain position in the pipeline, then maybe yeah. you don't take the best forward, but you take that defenseman and at least he's the right. best defenseman available. And there's something in your pipeline. And then ultimately if there's a log jam at some point, you, can, you know, at that point mm-hmm. from this draft to where we should be competitive, if there's a log jam in that position, you can trade that out for what you need. Yeah, and that's, that's what the Kings are doing right now. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I know. I, I think I'm like right in the middle of that. I, I think take the best player available as long as they fit the way you want this team to play in the future, right? No, like you could have a ton of defensemen or a ton of centers or a ton of wingers. If they all project to play the way you want to play, I don't really care how many guys you have at that position. Cause like you said, you can move guys out in trades to get another guy that you want. You could sign guys in free agency to fill holes later. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, we just talked about drafting shooters, and I, I don't think you necessarily have to reach to draft a shooter because you know you need a goal scorer. Where if there's a better player at that position that you still think can fit the way you want to play, then I'm fine taking that better guy, even if it is you know a position of strength. Let's say down the middle right now, where you 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 know if you 
you think Zegers and McTavish are going to be the one too. But if the best player available at 10 or the best player available on your list at 22 is a center, take him. And then figure it out down the road. Again, there's no guarantee that you can't move Zegers to the wing, that you can't move McTavish to the wing. There's no guarantee that either of them long-term yet are going to be centers at the NHL level. There's, you know, there's definitely instances where uh, they could end up moving to the wing. So, yeah, at, at that point, yeah, I'm just I take whoever's the best available as long as they fit the way you want to play. It's kind of like waves. Like, we, we have a need right now. That's wave one. But when you go into a draft, you're looking at, all right, three years, that's the next wave that comes through. Mm-hmm. Like, where are we going to be as a team when that wave hits, and are we going to kind of be there? So, as I said, like, drafts, very rarely are you getting something that's going to help you on this first wave. It's what happens next yeah. Yeah. that's that's where we're at especially at this point where the team is like when you're a competitive team and you've got your core built and you're set for the next five to ten years and you know you need something in the next couple three years like you know for tampa for example you know you know these guys are going to be here and if you're debating between two Circumventing guys the uh, cap yes yeah, yeah. If, you, if you know these two guys are going to be no. here and you know you need whatever, you know, a middle six winger over a defenseman. Even though if the defenseman is slightly higher in your list, maybe you take the middle six winger because you know they might have a faster path to the NHL. They fit the need that you have there. For teams like that, I can understand. For a team like the Ducks right now where they're, you know, just kind of kicking off the rebuild, you really just take whatever projects the best for you and to fit your roster the best in the future. And then if it doesn't work at that point or whatever, you move that guy out, you get a piece that does fit. Next year, we're going to be talking about the same thing in the draft, right? Like the needs are going to be roughly the same. It's always best to kind of just take whoever is on your list at the top at that point and and worry about positions later. I think for goaltending, it's a bit different. Um, There's also not a lot of great goaltenders in this draft anyway. There's no Spencer Knight or anything like that this year. I think that's the only place where you could say... I just missed out. I'm just... Yeah. Barely not draft eligible, yeah, eligible. otherwise. D plus 15. First, yeah, yeah, man, just that first round. <laughs> Go for the Calder Trophy next year. My guy, yeah, as a, as a nice little 38-year-old. Um, Tim Thomas the shit out of it. All right, let's... Uh, Let's kick this off. Just mention a few of the guys I think that are going to be gone before ten. Like, there's no shot. I'm, you know, there's always a chance a guy like a Zegris again falls to nine. You get him. Shane Wright. Shane Wright. Shane Wright. But so uh, okay. Yeah. Um, to that end, like I actually was curious about that. Like, if Anaheim traded into the top three or traded for the top pick or whatever, like just just as a hypothetical, right? Like, yeah. Who would you guys take in that group? At, at number one. Like if you could pick from anybody, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I'd still take Shane Wright. Uh, I think a lot of the fact that he missed a season and didn't put up what people thought would like exceptional status numbers, he had a great season. Like I think it was like mm-hmm. ninety plus points in fifty games, but it was below the pace that he had in that fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. season, and then he missed his sixteen-year-old season. So people are like, oh, okay, well, like. Because they had these expectations, he fell short of it. So now he's fallen out of that guaranteed number one spot uh, slot because other guys have stepped up. Like the, that's the, the the thing with the draft every year is his every expectations year, yeah. were so high compared mm-hmm. to everybody else that it was so hard to hit. It. And he kind of went slightly under that. But Slavkovsky was jumped way up, Cooley way up. So now these guys are on the up, and it looks like Wright's on the down. So they're getting for you know first overall pick votes. I think they're really good, but. Shane Wright, for me, when we look at this draft 10 years from now, I think he's going to be the best player, and it's, it's going to be no question. These guys are going to be great, but he's just on another level. Would, you, ra- would you rather have a Shane Wright with this core for the Ducks moving forward? Yeah. Like, he just slot. Like, he's 100%. NHL ready. 
essentially. So he's already kind of there and can build with this group versus yeah. everyone else. There's a chance maybe the first couple might actually do it, but it's just insane. I mean, to he's me. as closest to a, a sure thing NHL starter yeah. uh, in this draft. He's like the guy every team asks for. Right, like just a great, reliable, <laughs> shutdown two-way defenseman who also has like sixty, seventy point upside. Like every team wants this guy, a lock at center at the NHL level. And for some reason, like I get it, Slavkovsky's a big six-foot-four winger, and he looks like a Rontanen type. In in you know the Avalanche just won a cup, or, or you know, so there's a, a, a need and a want for a guy like that. He's going to be great. And Cooley is a really creative, you know, undersized five-foot-ten center who maybe has the top skill in this draft but like i've just everybody always wants a player like shane wright that projects to be what he could be and for some reason yeah he's fallen off and a lot of that is just because of the expectations like when you're an exceptional status player you're supposed to be like mcdavid you're supposed to be putting up insane numbers and he put up great numbers but i don't think enough has been said about the fact that again he missed an entire year as an underage player at 15 he put up better numbers than mcdavid he's not going to be better mcdavid than mcdavid but then he didn't get to play in the 16 year old season he yeah. misses a year of development <laughs> and one person is going to be better than mcdavid yeah no I'll one. Wait. yeah yeah I'll wait. <laughs> but like you know there's something to be said about missing a whole year of development and then having to come back this year and try and make up for that and you still put up great numbers but it's not at the same level as what they expected i think if he had a play to full season last year and then played this year i think he would have had better numbers i think he would have been at that point where we're talking about 110 120 points in the ohl season because he has that extra year and under his belt and a little bit more experience and how to kind of break down defenders in the league and i I think it would have been that year and there would have been no question that he's number one overall pick i think whoever montreal takes of those three that we talked about they're going to walk away with a good player i think when we look back at it in my opinion if you don't take shane wright first overall you're gonna be like damn we missed out on this. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna to have to explain that later you're gonna be slightly disappointed <laughs> that you know you could have had this guy you'll still be happy with who you had but i just think yeah he oh, he's gonna be something else he just looks like he's gonna be a great a great player the one type of player that every team kind of wants to have yeah i, I was uh i've been thinking about it just a little bit like just because you know like you said like he came into this like draft cycle as the projected number one and by most uh, models he still is and there is definitely something to be said that everybody shoots at the front runner right so he's been out there and it's been picking him apart to see what it is about him that maybe pulls him back and then on the other time it's who what are these guys bringing that can push him forward and i think for anaheim it's it's really interesting to me because I think you have to take Shane Wright if you're Anaheim because it, it answers a question for 10 years, mm-hmm. which is who's our second line center. And I know he like projects to possibly be, you know, a, a lower end first line center. But to me, he is probably at worst a second line center. Yeah, it all comes down to the points, right? That's, that separates that difference, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with McTavish and with Zegris and, and, you know, looking at those two, of me, it makes a lot of sense that Anaheim do after, like, Yuri Slikovsky, right? And to pick up a big bruising winger maybe to play up with Zegris. So now you've got some meat on his line and you're able to, um, 
you know, let McTavish stay separate. And so now you've got big bodies and goal scoring and, you know, that kind of play on two different lines. Uh, and, you know, Cooley seems like someone that is so incredibly tantalizing. I would, I think it would be very hard for me if I was in Anaheim to take, to not take Cooley first overall. I think his upside is the highest. I think based on everything I'm hearing and the little that I've seen, like his upside is insane. And like for Arizona, he seems like a perfect guy because they need something. They need something to show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the idea that he could be a Braden Point-esque, you know, dynamic offensive forward. What are we talking yeah. about? Because the Ducks aren't going to get either of these no, people. No, no. <laughs> there's a few I, teams. To, there's a few teams that are, are willing to like. Number one, Montreal. They they're not moving it, but you know, yeah. New Jersey's listing on number two. Dude, Flyers are listening on five. Ottawa's <laughs> looking at trading seven. So there's like a chance to to jump up at to you know two five From or seven potentially yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So you know, we're, we're looking at these guys. Also, these guys they can't get, but there's a you know uh-huh. there's a chance yeah. that if you move up. You know, we got to talk about them because you could you could get these guys and where they potentially turn, right? yeah so, yeah, yeah. Gibby also, goes and we get that the number two okay yeah. uh, I was I sitting here going just... like <laughs> yeah, I don't know about, we're not getting one or two like yeah. just, yeah, no, like, it didn't occur think... to me like oh yeah we can probably trade up um, <laughs> but I, don't, I don't think it's gonna happen but... no neither do no, I no I don't I don't think so either but I I just think this top five is so fascinating because to me it seems pretty clearly that the consensus five is. Cooley, Wright, Sapkowski, you're a chicken mimic. One of those guys answers one problem for every team. Like, the degree to which bringing one of those guys in is almost easy as pie is is so crazy to me that, that, that they are so projectable as to what role they can play on a team, right? That I just think it makes the process of, like, thinking about it and thinking about what teams fit where and stuff like that. Um, but it does feel like, you know, for most teams, it's like, just don't overthink it. Just take Shane Wright and run. Yeah, yeah, it, and so I, I think yeah, like I can't imagine they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, neither neither can I. I think when you look at their team too, like there's a desperate need for a guy who could be a one or two center. Um, you know, Nick Suzuki would be a great number two, and I think Shane Wright could be a, a a good number one for Montreal. Like I, I do think he can be a number one center. I don't think he's going to be a guy who, who like gets to ninety, a hundred points. But I don't think you need that to be a number one center. I think. Him and Suzuki as like a future one-two in in Montreal is a really really good start for them to get back to you know being a, a, a competitive team that they hope to be and they've got a lot of good young wingers like Caulfield as well so they're I, I think that's the pick that makes sense for them and then you look at two I think Slavkovsky is a slam dunk for New Jersey they don't need Cooley uh, they might take a defenseman but I think when you think Slavkovsky to go with Hughes and Hisher that just makes sense then like you said Arizona at three. Uh, it's got to be Cooley. You need a, yeah. a kind of a game breaking center. probably on the way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you need. Like, what do you need if you want to revive that franchise? A really exciting player who has the potential to be the best player from this draft and whose skill level is is probably among the best. Uh, that would oh, be and he's American. Yeah, 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 and he's American, so so that helps as well. I was gonna say they're gonna go Shane Wright because he's a good old Canadian boy. Yeah, <laughs> I, like it, it, it looks like it just projects well for each team to kind of get what they need. Obviously, somebody will throw a wrench in things and mess it up, but you know, for for Seattle, looking at, looking at you, Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless or if Montreal doesn't take, uh, if they take Slavkovsky number one. You know, if you're New Jersey at that point, you got two centers. You're looking at do you take a defenseman and then does Wright start falling from there and 
and then Seattle at four. You know, if both those defensemen fall into their lap, they'd pick whoever they like better, Nemec and Yurichek. But if Wright's there, do you go Wright and Beniers as your like your two centers? So right. it really is like in Montreal's hands because Montreal takes right, it seems to fall into place for every team to kind of go like Slavkovsky, Cooley, mm-hmm. Nemec, and then the Flyers can really do whatever they want at, at five, but they probably take the defenseman who doesn't get taken at four. Uh, and then because I think it is that kind of consensus top five and then at six it gets kind of weird where you can take anybody because there's that tier of five and then you know seven to eleven and then everybody else from there um but yeah like you know flyers could move that pick they could take anybody uh and then I'm trying to remember who's at Detroit's at six right uh no six is Columbus six is Columbus yeah again Columbus could do anything Ottawa could do whatever they is want. They seven. could move that pick and, and then so on from there. So Detroit it, is at Detroit's eight, at eight, Buffalo's, Buffalo's at, at nine, nine, and the Ducks yeah. at ten. Yeah. And so really outside that top five is where you get into anybody could be available at ten for the Ducks, just depending on who teams like. I put Matt Savoy in that likely gone by ten because he just feels like a a pick if it goes in that order that Columbus would love at six to really skilled creative center. Uh, to go with a guy like Line A that if he if he ends up sticking around and some of the other prospects they have Ken Johnson like he felt like a a pick that wasn't, they, a, wasn't they, Dubois a uh, a center? Do yeah, purely Dubois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he Dubois, was. Yeah, yeah. So they so they they lost him. So yeah, they probably want to try and yeah, uh, see, see if we can rebuild that position him. if they could. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> they might. Yeah, because Jack Rosovich is is looking great. So yeah, and. It sounds like Dubois on the way out of Winnipeg, anyways. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work out I think there. both of those guys, like they both didn't like where they were, and they both got traded to other teams they didn't want to be at. So yeah. I think they're mm-hmm. both like Line's out, Dubois out. They're 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 each looking to yeah. hit free agency and go wherever that. I think they surprisingly, want. like out of both of them, I thought Dubois would stay in Winnipeg and Line would go. Now I think Line is potentially more, more likely, likely yeah. to stay. stay. I think he can do what like he's getting the freedom without torts there now and from the GM to kind of do whatever he wants and they're going to build a team to kind of support him to be that forty or fifty goal scorer and I think Johnson a line potentially yep. of Kent Johnson Savoy and Line yeah Boquist on the oh, blue sure. line like the way they want to play I think is it, it fits I, I think Line's out Line's yeah. a like a big dude like he he likes himself some Line. Um, so I think in his opinion, he's like, I'm the best. Like, even when they were kind of doing like, you know, between him and Austin Matthews, who do you take? He goes, oh, I'm a better player. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I love it. But, uh, but so like for him, it was like, uh, yeah, for I, he's not going to want to play in Columbus. He's going to play at either a big stage or get a big contract or do something like that. I don't think he's ever hit his potential because I don't know if he's just like, wants to wherever he wants to go that's where he wants to play and then shine so i think whoever grabs him is great they're gonna have to pay a crap load of money to get him but yeah yeah i don't think he stays in columbus to be honest i was like your trend i was thinking of oh right yeah i completely forgot no focus my bad yeah even even Um, even if line a does go they'll get something for him because they'll trade his rights or whatever um i I think bringing in you know they're looking to build a skilled quick fast puck moving team i think a guy like like either Kemmel or, or Savoy fits there. And then anywhere from, from 6 to, to 10 could be any of these guys that are here. We have a, a list of... 6 to 13. Yeah, we have a, a list of a like... bunch of guys that the Ducks could be interested in. Kemmel, uh, Cutter Gauthier, Frank Nazar, Jonathan Lekiermaki, Kevin Kurczynski, Pavel Mintuyakov, Denton Matichuk, uh Marco, Marco Kasper, Brad Lambert, and Connor Geeky as the options that could go 
at 10. A lot of the mock drafts have had the Ducks taking any number of those guys. Casper, I've mm-hmm. seen, Kraczynski, Geeky, uh, Gauthier. Yeah, I Cam Robinson's mock had us taking Geeky. Yeah, so, so there's a lot of different options. And, and they're all like a bunch of different options. There's some, some goal-scoring wingers like Kemmel and Gauthier. There's some quick, speedy, do-it-all forwards like Nazar. A bunch of defensemen and Kraczynski, Matichuk, uh, Mintuyakov in there. So there's a lot of and big center Connor Geeky, six foot four center. There's a lot of different options for mm. the Ducks. Uh, we already talked about it briefly, but to go more in depth of who, what kind of player you would rather take at ten? What like who, out of all those guys, we look at them. You know, what kind of skill set, what kind of player are you looking for? If you could pick any of the lot, assuming that all the forwards are gonna hit and be top six forwards, defensemen are gonna be top four defensemen. What kind of profile are you looking for most at ten? I think so. It's interesting because I know you had said that you had kind of divided them between picks ten and picks twenty, and I kind of just built two columns of forward like one column of defensemen and one column of forwards yeah and like at 10 i think based on upside i think korchinski makes a lot of sense as far as a left-handed puck moving defenseman um you know he seems to have uh, a ton of just offensive skill and ability to be kind of a one-man breakout um but i think i would be very hard-pressed to pass on a Casper or a Nazar in that role. Uh, even a Gauthier, I think he'll be gone by then. But I think Nazar for me and Casper and their kind of ability to be do-it-all guys. Um, you know, Casper, according to EP, is one of the best defensive forwards in this draft. To have that and be able to add him into your your lineup with Terry and McTavish and Zegris, I think could really give you a very dynamic lineup. I would go, or at least what I think the Ducks will probably do, or at least what Verbeek has said he wants, is he wants a competitor. Mm-hmm. He wants somebody who's going to be in that. I mean, like, McTavish is perfect. I feel like that is is hitting on all of that. So I, I think that that's probably, you know, his main thing is is not necessarily size, not necessarily the, the bigger guys, although he also said we want to do that. But um, – and I, I think this is a, a great way to go is just that compete level, uh, you know, it sounds so cliche, but, you know, someone who's who's going to be in and just wants to win, hate, you know, hates losing as more than uh, they, they like winning type of deal. So mm-hmm. they, I, I feel like if they can find that person and whether or not they're skating is that that's like the easiest, I won't say the easiest, but that's like something that can be worked on. Yeah. Um, if you don't have the effort to want to go into it or you rely too much on, oh, hey, I'm really good at a slap shot or a wrist shot or a one-timer or whatever that is, and you just hone in on that and that's what you are uh, hanging your hat on, then I don't think that's the right fit for what Verbeek wants. Um, and that's, you know, so if your skating's bad, but you can work on that. You know, your size is bad. You can work on getting upper body strength. You can, you can do mm-hmm. a lot of those things, but if your compete level is not there and you're not vicious on a four check or you're not, you know, engaged in that way, then I, I think Verbeek's probably going to pass you over. So I think they're probably looking for somebody who's just going to, you know, work their ass off and the little minor details um, can get worked out through coaching. Yeah. No. Okay. That gives me a good kind of, 
direction, where to go with this first book. Uh, Stephen, you mentioned You're it. You're welcome. Um, and then, yeah, Jason's description <laughs> kind of uh, marks this player to a T. Uh, and he's, I, I can't remember what mark, mock draft uh, they had him going to the Ducks in at uh, number 10. But Marco Casper mm-hmm. was um, in one of those mock drafts. He's a guy that can kind of go anywhere from, like, even 6 to 15. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, he's one of those players, he, he does everything Average to above average. Nothing really exceptional other than the way, like the physical uh, style of game that he plays and the, the compete level, the commitment level that he has. He plays every game um, like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Like he, he just, that's Love the way he yeah. Love those guys. It's the way he plays. So there, yeah. there, there will be a team that thinks that they can work on the offensive side of things. They can get his skating a little bit better. He's not a bad skater. It's an average to above average skating stride. But there'll be a team that think, okay, we can work with this kid and he can get to that level where he's a really good second line center or one B, you know, to that same projection level as Shane Wright. So he's a guy who could go really early. Like I think a lot of people put him in Detroit because Irishman will look at this guy as a guy that they could work on and have a, a nice little combo of him and Larkin. Um, but if he is available at number 10 for Anaheim, he is a guy I, I really like, like I, I tend to lean a bit more to the, the real high upside guys, you know, that have some risk attached to it, but it's workable. Like you said, Jason, guys, maybe the skating isn't there or something that you could work on that's a little bit easier to work on. The, the offense and everything is there, but a, a bit of an easier project to work on and things you can you can put together. But for, for Casper, like, the guy just plays a style of game that you love. He, he hits everything that moves, but he does it in a way that doesn't take him out of the play. He's kind of worded and listed as, like, a violent, competitive hockey player but he doesn't take things <laughs> over the line he take you know the, the somebody um one of the scouting Pepper reports <laughs> yeah exactly right, right? like he, he no, kinda, he's exactly what you're talking yeah, about yeah he, he, he plays like that for because me and uh, you know uh, like the two things that pat verbeek has said that he wants in the draft more than anything like you said is compete and intelligence right he wants guys who are smart on the ice and know how to compete because marco casper no you can't um, Marco Casper is exactly that guy. And I think to me, you know, if you're saying like, what's Marco Casper's upside, it's Ryan Kessler, Ryan O'Reilly kind of, yeah. you know, two way physical force that you really can just kind of throw out and not worry about downside. I guess, you know, you're looking at like, uh, I don't know. So what, what's the offense going to be? Stall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, think stall, that's a, like, I think that's a perfect one is yeah. is stall know. where the offense, I mean, stall now in a sense, right? Yeah, is that... or Stahl when he was uh, first on Pittsburgh. Yeah, and he was their third line guy. Yeah, yeah, like that's yeah. that's the difference between like Casper. I think the consensus from a lot of people he's going to play in the NHL. He's going to be a middle six winger or center in the <clears throat> NHL. It just the offense is going to determine how high he goes, and there's really no you know, you know crystal ball to look into the future and say okay, like he's going to be a 40, 50, 60, 70 point guy. Like you just don't know. It just depends on how that skill set translates. But everything else says, like, he's – there's a scouting report that said nearly every one of our staff's Casper viewing start with the Austrian winger taking a run at somebody on his first shift. Like, he's just a guy <laughs> – the moment the puck drops, he's ready to go. And he's out there to make life miserable to play against for, for the opposition. Um, but at the same time, they put in here that his physicality isn't mindless. It's 
kind of integral to the way he Ooh. plays. He just thrives when he turns hockey into pinball. He just loves to go out there, <laughs> bang bodies, make it difficult for guys, shut them down. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah, like yeah, he's he's, he's the type of player you love to have, right? We we talked about Kessler and Perry and those types of guys where that side of their game was to go out there and they got as much joy as putting a puck in the back of the net as making life as difficult as possible for Taking the guy to line water up against. bottle, put yeah. it out, and like yeah. flip it off. There. Well, that's like. <laughs> What Bobby Ryan was talking about when he was live tweeting the game, right? He was like, yeah, my best friend. He was like, this is one of those games that's made for Corey Perry. This is the kind of game where Corey Perry's going to grab these guys and drag them into the fight. And, you know, that's when he starts to do all that Corey Perry blue paint gives me vertigo shit. Dropping a knee on an ankle here and there. (laughs) Just just being an insane person. Um, You know, I, I I think there's an argument to be made that Casper is potentially the safest lottery pick on the board just because I think his floor is, I, I mean, I guess Wright is probably the best, but Casper is probably second. Yeah, outside of the top five. so high. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he could be, like, I, I, I think you could make an argument that Casper is a safer pick than Juracek after that injury, right? After his skating hasn't been great, and obviously the injury makes a big difference as he continues to rehab and, you know, all that stuff. Like, that's something you can work on, but that is something that multiple people have said when they've talked about Juracek. We have to watch out. He was injured. His skating didn't look great. We think it's just recovery, but, you know, you know the way that they were talking about him on the PDO cast, like he was giving me, like, Matthew Kachuk vibes um, as far as just being an absolute shitster. But, like, I honestly, I wonder if he's not in Ottawa. Like, I feel like he's going to go at seven to Ottawa because he seems like the perfect guy to have with Brady Kachuk. Yeah, I mean, you look at anything there. Like he, that's the thing with him, and why he could go so high, and why like out of anybody we're gonna talk about today is a potential like wild card to sneak into the top five because he fits on every team. Like every mm-hmm. team wants to have a guy like this. Like scouts and coaches, they all kind of like rave about his work ethic, the coachability, the competitive nature that he has. You know, the generally great demeanor that he has. There's really no bad things they ever say about him. Like the the cons I found are that his skill and sense are never going to rate his elite tools, but they've grown to a point where, like, they're average, which is not really a con. Like, it's just he's not elite in those areas, but he's still average NHL level in, in skill and puck skills and playmaking. Talk about his, his advanced playmaking opportunities kind of elude him, but he still has the basis of, you know, a good first pass, can find the open man, can make space for himself. He just doesn't have, like, the elite end playmaking, which is fine. Like not many guys have that, but he's got everything average or above average and the guy will work at it. Like that's the thing I think a lot of, obviously a lot of scouts and coaches love is that he will give you 110% every night and he's a great physical shutdown player and he can contribute offensively every now and then. He's got this, you know, it's not a detriment to him. He's not a third or fourth line center that does all that because he can't contribute offensively. Like, he, you know, again, like you said, a Jordan Stahl or, you know, a Ryan O'Reilly at the high end. Like, every team wants to have a guy like that who you can throw out, and, and there's no worry when he's out there. He's going to make something happen, whether it's offensively or defensively. He's not going to be a detriment to you. Um, and there's there's a way, if he goes in the right situation, you can mold him potentially into that, you know, really high end second line center that everybody hopes that he could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting to think about if the Ducks would like, like I obviously, obviously don't know what happens at the uh, draft where everyone's got their little table and they talk to all the other GMs. 
I'm wondering if like those GMs like talk to each other like, hey, who are you planning on taking, you know, next? And then if it's like that guy, do the GMs go like, I really want that guy. Here's a trade proposal, and let's try and make that work. Because I wonder if like they, if they do that on that premise, would the Ducks try and do something to kind of get that guy? Because I feel like he he would fit better, uh, fit the best, I guess, uh, for what the Ducks are looking for. And if, you know, it's a little bit of a trade thing, you know, would they try and pull the trigger to, to make that happen? Obviously, it depends on the team. Yeah. Depends on who's going to do that, that sort of deal. But uh, yeah. I, I think there's a good chance. Like, I, need him. There's, a, there's, a, there's a real chance to move up to five or seven and use the 10 to get there. I think seven makes a bit more sense because I think the Flyers are looking at literally just trading the five for a high end asset. I don't know if that trade works for the Ducks. I think the Sens are open to moving seven to get 10 and something else, like 10 and 53 or something like that. If the guy they think they can get, you know, at seven is also going to be there at 10. And if the Ducks want to jump up and get Casper or somebody at seven, I think that's the most likely move that they could make. Where again, you use that draft capital, have whether it's a second this year, one of your three or four seconds you have next year, package that with the 10, maybe another pick, a third or a fourth, and move up to seven and get the guy you want. I think that's the most likely move for the Ducks to move up on draft date. And it really, again, depends on the sense, on who they want at seven. And can they get him at 10? Do they think they can get him at 10? Who's Detroit and Buffalo going to take at 8 and 9? Um, I, I can see that. And I, and I think it could be for a guy like Marco Casper. What? Holy shit. What? Ryan McDonough got traded to Nashville. Oh. Moving cap. For Holy Mishmash shit. and Phil Myers? Yeah. Not Breaking bad. news. All right. Breaking we all have to like pot. put a, put the camera yeah. a little bit higher so we're all like this and you can only see our foreheads. <laughs> all Where's Kevin, Kevin Weeks? Weeks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, Breaking news. Kevin Weeks and uh, Pat Here's Rubik. my forehead. <laughs> not knowing how to properly use a camera for a video. <laughs> so, so just... that, that's what Pat Rubik's doing. He's taking the Kevin, uh, uh, Kevin Weeks school of addressing mm-hmm. <laughs> the media. I think my just made me think about it right now. My favorite, uh, like, six D chess fantasy trade is trading up to two and then back for six and twelve. I love it with Columbus. Like trading yeah. like Gibby Zellweger for two, right? Yeah, and then trading back with Columbus to six and twelve so they can take like Slavkovsky or Cooley. And then you can pick up like Casper and Korchinski, basically. Like, so you have six, again. twelve, and twenty-two at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. No, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Oh, I don't think we've 22? ever seen something like that happen on draft day. But yeah, yeah. Be a no, way to make insane. a statement for Pavarbeek. Oh, you, know, you never say never. But, <laughs> uh, once again, if you're playing, you know, NHL twenty-two, then. Yeah. Right, exactly. You, you no, can do whatever just... you want. <laughs> but yeah, I, like I, I do think there's a potential. Approval again, we're, we're talking trades. I think they're with the draft capital and what uh, Pravika said. Like the Ducks have the assets to move, you know, from ten to seven or ten to two or ten to five or keep ten and move other assets to get another pick in the top fifteen. Like they they do have the ability to make that happen. And and it's again, if the bright opportunity presents itself for them, I think I think Pravika is more than willing, and he said he's more than willing to do it. Um, okay, we got other players we got to get to. We'll quick kind of just briefly profile them and talk about their fit with the Ducks. If you think it'd be a good pick at 10, we'll go down the list. We've got Joakim Kemmel, uh, the Finnish kind of, I don't want to say Patrick line, light type player. Cause he's not big. He's like five foot nine, five. Mm-hmm. He's listed as five, nine, but also five eleven. So I don't know if it's five eleven on skates, but he's a bit, a bit bigger than five, nine. 
but he's got the best one-timer in the draft, the third best kind of overall shot in the draft according to Elite Prospects. He has a very high-end skill level, and at one point, he had a really great start to the season. He was being considered to challenge for number one, and then it kind of regressed a bit where the second half of the season wasn't as great, so he kind of lands in the middle of that where he's now found himself in 5-10 to range, potentially falling outside the top 10. Um, So he's just a really good, creative, hard-for-checking player, a little bit undersized. The only problem with him is that he's got this high-end skill, but he plays with the confidence of somebody like Connor McDavid, but he doesn't have the individual skill to go through four players. So there's a lot of low percentage shots where he'll try and kind of deke through four players when the the safe pass is right there. Um, And then he just, he lacks a little bit of an extra gear in his skating. But other than that, he's really high quality winger who, again, you know, one time option. We've talked about that for the ducks for a while and and bringing in a a right-handed one timer, for the power play, he kind of profiles as that. Um, but yeah, there's just a little bit of little bit of cons there in terms of the skating, but you can work on that and uh, the kind of decision-making, I guess you could call it at this point. But again, they are workable skill sets, things you can kind of coach out of a player. Yeah, and once again, I, I'm not... I'm not a big fan of trying to draft what your needs are today yeah. or next season. It's where are we going to be on that next wave or that third wave coming in? Where do we project we're going to need help? Um, so you can easily get someone via free agency or trade to fill in that right shot, uh, you know, one time on the power play. You know, you can't really draft that guy because we need that now. Um, so, once again, it's it's fine. I mean, he's got got the opportunity to play and the opportunity to uh, you know refine some of the the other parts of his game to kind of help out. So it's there. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know we've talked we've used this phrase multiple times already, and we're you know whatever in, but it's like that 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 confidence, that tenacity. You can't really teach that overconfidence like that, right? What yeah. you can do is it's a lot easier to get someone to rein it in or harness that in a way that is, you know, more effective and productive than it is to try to get somebody to, you know, kind of take that leap when that's not in them. You know, Um, I think Brad Lambert, who we'll probably get to at some point is an example of that, right? A player who just, he just hits so many boxes and then you just watch him play over a period of time. And apparently he's just like floating in and out of plays. He's yeah, disinterested. It's infuriating to watch with a, a guy with that much skill <clears throat> just kind of throw it away with some bad decisions. So, you know, I just, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to Jay's point, as far as like drafting for needs today versus tomorrow, I think if you take someone like Kemmel, I don't think they're coming into the lineup soon. I think that's a player who's probably two, three years away just based on like size. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a guy that they felt maybe they could either stash overseas um, for a year or something. Because he's playing over there, right? Yeah, he's playing in, in Finland. I'm trying to remember the last uh, Euro we drafted in the top 10. Would it have been Lintel? Would have been the last one? Yes. I think so. It's been on yeah. the uh, NCAA, NTDP. CHL circuit for a while. Um, speaking of NTDP, Cutter Gauthier, br- friend of the show, Brett, his favorite player for the Ducks <laughs> to take a 10. I, I've seen a few mock drafts where he's gone. Um, and again, like Casper, he kind of projects to what the Ducks are, or at least what Pat Verbeek said the Ducks are looking for in players, high compete level. He's six foot three, 201 pounds, can play every position. 
whether he's a center or a winger, again, same in the sense of McTavish, not quite there if you could say for sure he's going to be a center, but at the very least he's going to be a, a really good middle six power forward with the potential, depending on the line mates, to be a, a top line goal scoring power forward in the NHL. I think he projects as one of the best bets to be a modern day power forward out of this draft. Uh, his shot is probably top five in the draft along with Kemmel and a few of the other guys that we'll get to. Decent hands, again, net front presence, one of the best in the draft up there with Marco Casper as being a guy who's just going to be tough to deal with in front of the net. We've already got McTavish to do that as well, so that, that'll be tough yeah. to go against all those guys potentially playing in front of the net. The only thing, again, with a lot of these guys with size and that they do a lot of things well, the skating is not bad, it's average, but it's not quite at the top, which is fine. Again, he's six foot three, not likely going to be the best skater in the draft at 6'3", 201 pounds potentially in the NHL at like 6'4", 220, right? Like you're rarely going to be one of the best skaters at that size as long as you can average, you know, skate averagely and, and, and use your skating in a way that's efficient. You'll be fine. And then the kind of the hockey sense in the in the playmaking to make those extra plays, you know, the, he doesn't necessarily have that. But all the intangibles, all the kind of base level skills are there. Again, like Casper, he's one of those guys does everything pretty well. Nothing really bad, and a few things are above average, like the shot and, and the physicality. He, he kind of has near the top end of the draft with that. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, apparently this year's like you're talking about him being a power forward, I guess this year him and the USNTD coach were talking, and they were like, what we want you to focus on is being a power forward. And I guess there were three things. It's am I playing inside the lines, or am I playing inside the dots? Am I moving my feet? And am I getting off shots or something like that? But, you know, like he and they were like, and we just saw this over this year. Like He just he he committed to growing in that way and it paid off as the year went on. I, I think there are still some questions, like you said, about whether he is a center. Um, I know I've heard that he wants to be a center, but there still seem to be some questions about whether he can do it. I, I to You know, he's one of those guys that like whether he is or isn't like, I don't know that it makes much of a difference on the impact he'll be able to have at the NHL level, assuming he pops. Um, so to me, he's a great one. I, I think um, I think the upside is higher a little bit because I think like his offensive skill set is a little bit more advanced than Marco Casper's. Um, but I think overall those two guys are, are guys that you could very easily see um, being – great value picks if they were to make it to 10 what like i think you know sorry go no go 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 <laughs> no i was just curious what you guys think like why somebody wants to be a center and then why people go like you're not a center dude don't I, be a center i think it's a like hockey sense the ability to kind of dictate play if you if you can't do that you, you know being a first and second line center at the nhl level is is going to be difficult and you know, we don't see too many first and second line centers on good teams that can't kind of drive the offense or dictate play themselves and I think that's the limit for him right now is he's got the size to do it he's 6-3-2-0-1 right now he could play center in the NHL right now with that size the mm -hmm. only downside again is that hockey sense and that playmaking ability and even the skating a little bit is not quite at that level that you expect from uh, a player that's going to be a top you know top six center in the NHL I think that's that's the tough part because you can take that away, right? You don't need the playmaking ability necessarily as a winger in the top six to get that done. You don't really need the skating to be a top six winger necessarily. So that's where, you know, if those other things don't develop, just shift him to the wing and he'll get it done there. 
But if he can really work on the few aspects he needs to, then there is a chance he can play center. I think that's where that kind of distinction comes from. So, like, if you're a high hockey IQ, you're more likely to be kind of a center, obviously, if you have the skill set of face-offs and that sort of deal. But also... You have to be a little bit more defensive, but you also have to be patient. You have to have that hockey sense of, all right, I've got my wingers and I've got to be able to dish it and I got to wait for the right moment, but I also got to be responsible defensively. And so there's, I guess, yeah. a lot of hats to wear. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. It's, it's a, like, the next Not guy everyone's built for it. Yeah, the next guy we're going to talk about is Frank Nazar. And he has the hockey sense and the skill and the skating and the defensive Solid accuracy first to do it. But Frank. he's 5'10, right? He's 5'10, 181. So he has the things that. Gauthier doesn't have in the hockey sense and, and the playmaking ability and the in you know the dynamic skating that you're like, okay, that's great. But then he's 5'10, 181, so he's not 6'3, 201. You take Gauthier's size and you put the skill set of Nazar in there, you've got a first overall pick, right? Like you've got a guy who yeah, can do it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so the, that's the thing. I think with the bigger guys, it's it always seems to be a lack of hockey sense or playmaking ability, usually that prevents them from becoming a center and you move him becomes a big bruising power forward winger, you know, kind of like a Rick Nash type guy. Uh, and for Nazar, it's that, again, that lack of size to handle the physicality of being a top six center. There's not many guys in the NHL as top six centers that are 5'10". 181 pounds so I, I think that's what kind of limits him i know steven he was he's one of your favorites nazar coming into the draft yeah i love i love everything about him i um to me the thing with him is i think i, I guess the best version of the worst case scenario i don't know if I'm how to say it but like to me if he doesn't work at center he seems like a lock to be the second right wing in the top six with Terry, because to me, if you can have him and Terry on separate lines, I think you immediately improve the quality, um, the dynamism, and just the just say the general level of play. Hmm? Did you say diamondism? Dynamism, yeah, like dynamic. That's a word. I think so. <laughs> okay. Diamond, sure diamondism. Just I was thinking like diamond. But, yeah, I think sorry. It was. Uh, it's dynamic. But yeah, like I just, I just think like if him and Terry are your top two right wings, I think you're in a really, really good spot. And I think it, you know, potentially takes a ton of pressure off of guys like Pastiav and Tracy and Perot, who right now you're really hoping one of those guys hits and pops into that top six. And if you can get a guy like Nazar, and Perot can be a third liner. That's huge. Um, or, you know, you can use him in trades. You can move Tracy out, Comtois out, different things like that. I love Frank Nazar. I, I really just think that his fearlessness makes up for his lack of size. And I think his skating and his smarts will allow him to be successful at the NHL level. I really, really like uh, Nazar. He is definitely someone that just the more I kind of learned about them, the more... I became incredibly um, enticed by it. And it's interesting that you picked Cutter Gauthier because the guy I was thinking of in inverse is Connor Geeky, right? Who's yeah. not a strong skater, but he's a phenomenal playmaker. He's responsible on his own end. Like, he's a guy that you're like, oh, shit, yeah. But he's got the skating issues. And I think somebody said the comp for him on the low end is like Kirby Dak, and that makes you nervous because Kirby Dak hasn't really popped yet and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, who, I know you had mentioned the other day that you have kind of a locks for your 10. Who is your 10 guy that you would love to take? Yeah, I, I really like taking one of the high-end defensemen at 10. Um, and Kevin Kevin Kuczynski right now is my guy at 10. 
Um, I just I well, I, I want to I want to briefly touch on Nazar and then we'll we'll dive okay. into into Krajinsky. But I, I think with Nazar, from what like the, he he ranks anywhere from, like I think Elite Prospects has him at five. Like they they think he mm-hmm. has the highest ceiling of any player in the draft if he hits. The only again downside with him is he's five foot ten, 181 pounds. If he was a couple inches taller, he'd be in that discussion as being a top ten pick. I, I think center is a lo- is going to be very tough. Not I don't, I don't remember the ne- the last guy who's a five foot ten center in this league. I, Braden Point might be close. I think he's five ten, five eleven, and that's one of the comparables he has is a guy like Braden Point. But everything checks out with this guy. Like he's physical for a guy who's five ten. His passing, his his hockey sense, his skating is top three in all categories in the entire draft. His shooting is top ten. His puck handling, top five, top ten. Like he is a guy that probably won't be here. I think of all the guys that listed his options at ten for the Ducks, he probably won't be there. There's going to be somebody that likes him enough and thinks they could work with him that the size won't be an issue because that's the only issue with him. Like, you know, there are some dynamic smaller wingers that defense ends up being an issue. No, this guy competes and he works hard and he, you know, he does everything right defensively. He fits the mold of what the NTDP usually churns out of really good, reliable 200 feet players. But then he's got that extra level of skill that just puts him in the conversation as one of the top three skilled players in in this draft. And, you know, again, it's the playmaking. He's got the shooting. He's deceptive. He skates circles around pretty much everybody but Brad Lambert in this draft. He, he projects as a really, really good player. But again, the size is what's going to take him out of it. Look at the size of all the top five guys we talked about already. And Wright's above six foot. Slavkowski's six four. Juracek and Nemec. All right, Nemec's a bit smaller for a defenseman. I think yeah. he's 5'11", six foot. He, yeah, he's about six foot. Juracek's yeah. six two, and Cooley's 5'10". But yeah. Cooley's offensive dynamics. And, yeah. You know, and the, and the legitimate projectability of him playing center, I think, takes him above Nazar. But I think if you could look at outside of those guys, Nazar might be a good shot to go in the top six. But yeah, I, I think he'd be really, really good. Like I think I like the shot of him playing. Um, he, he he's very similar, maybe just a bit better offensively to Troy Terry in the sense that Terry does everything well. Really good defensive forward, transition one of the best transition players uh, in the league last year. Creates goal scoring opportunities with not like an excellent release not a hard shot like mctavish has but just deceptiveness uh likes to attack the triangles on players likes to go at players and 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 make them look ridiculous so i I think he's similar in that point if you get you can get two players like that and play them on the right side and have one playing with zegris and one playing with mctavish that bodes well for for the ducks in the future uh, Jay, I know you know again just the the type of player there that you could get a guy who kind of does everything. Does the size bother you if if you got a guy who could do that? Well, first I want to touch on this uh, dynamism. <laughs> I can't even get through that. It's an actual word. Yeah, Good dynamism. Job. I learned yeah. something. This is educational. <laughs> new word today. So thank you for that, Steven. Sorry I train wrecked you because they just threw me off, uh, and I still can't pronounce the word. Um, but, uh, no, it it used to probably bother me, the old NHL, um, where size was really important, uh, to, to how you had to play in this NHL. Now it's, it's smarts, it's quickness. Um, and that really isn't defined by a, a, a bigger player. So if you can do the position well, and obviously, if you're you're smaller, you might have a little bit of a disadvantage against bigger opponents. But if you can outsmart them, or you're quicker, or you're uh, more dynamic, 
um, you're able to go ahead and overcome some of those. So it just depends if he's able to do it. So it's a bit of a risk to maybe take that if you're not sure he can do that. But once again, you know, time and again, it seems like, you know, you don't need six foot four. You don't need six foot one. You, you get guys that are under six feet and they're, they're prolific in some cases. So um, if the, the skill set is there, then I don't really mind if you're not a big bruiser. Ducks are going to have to have some of those guys, but you got your Max Jones. You can add other pieces there uh, if you need that physical side of things. Uh, but, you know, if that skill set's there, then you take it whatever whatever package size it comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I agree. I, I, I think out of all the guys we're going to talk about at number 10, I think he's the least likely to be there probably should have had him at instead of Matt Savoy at that spot as a, as a guy that's likely going to be gone, but he would be added to that list, of, I think, of a guy that there's almost no chance, and it's almost like a Zegers-like fall if he's there at 10, where you kind of have to take him, because yeah. he just is the player with the highest upside at that point. Um, and you might take advantage of those people that are yeah. old-school thinking, where it's like, if there's that size there, that's where it's it's such a defect, and uh, you know that, that old school thinking, but I, I don't think Pat Verbeek's in that old school type of thinking because he was a, a smaller guy himself. So, yeah. um, you know, maybe and, take advantage of people that have that <laughs> preconceived notion of smaller dudes not being able to compete as well. Yeah, he seems yeah, to have, I mean, have an issue with the, the size for the forwards. He mentioned that he likes the bigger defensemen and guys that can, can you know, push people around. But for the <laughs> forwards, it doesn't seem necessarily to be an issue with him. Yeah, like, I don't think straight sizes. I think, you know, his comments at the end of the year about the younger kids was like, we want him to fill out, and mm-hmm. I think that's where he's at, right? Because you can even when you just see him, like, he's a solidly built guy. He's, he's not, you know, he's obviously not very tall, but he's not he's someone not that you're going to push Jager around. He's not Fergus at 154 pounds. Right. He's, he's 180 pounds at 5'10", which is a lot more manageable. Yeah, yeah. and so I think, um, I think you're 100% right. I think, you know, it's it I could easily see a situation where Savoie and Nazar fall out of the top ten just because they're small mm-hmm. and Connor Geeky goes seven to Ottawa. You know what I mean? Something yep. like that. Like I, I don't think that's Geeky and that's out of... start jumping up because of their size mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, yeah. Um okay, Kraczynski. Get back to him. So, he he's kinda my lock mm-hmm. for ten. I I I like again, depends who's there. That like any draft. I think if Nazar's there, I'd probably lean a little bit towards that, just for the upside on forward, and you can grab a defenseman later. I I think when you look at more so what's available at twenty two, that's what leans me a little bit towards the defenseman. You know, um, mm-hmm. at, at ten, if the forward that you know you kind of want isn't there, I really like the upside from Korchinski. He's a guy that is probably the top offensive defenseman in this draft, uh, which again you you know lately. That's usually the guys who are 5'10", 5'11", 6 foot. They've got a lot of speed, but the size is an issue, so they fall a little bit. With his case, he's six foot two, one hundred eighty five pounds, and he just like he's a transition machine. He makes the best first pass. He attacks players, but he does it in a smart way where he anticipates which way they're going to go. He cuts back the other way and he finds the right pass. He's got an excellent stretch pass. You know, he he utilized that just. To an insane extent like uh, the amount of stretch passes i saw every time i watched him for seattle this year was just insane um and he, he put up the most points of any chl defense i think it was like 65 points through 67 games he only had four goals and so 61 of those were assists 
Uh, but he's got, just despite the four goals, he's got a pretty good shot. He just doesn't really use it that much. He doesn't shoot the puck that much. He likes to kind of attack play, make the pass first before taking the shot. But I think it's something you could work on. If he becomes a power play quarterback eventually for the right team, that, that one-timer and, and that shot will get refined, especially for a guy who's six foot two. My thing with him is you take all those transition and the fact that he's 6'2", and you don't see too many players who are as good at that transition game at his size, is that before the pandemic, he was 5'10". He grew four inches in the season, the offseason that they didn't play to 6'2". He comes out this year, puts up insane numbers, four inches taller, learning, you know, the, his skating stride got better. He became one of the best skaters for a defenseman in the draft. Like, he just stretched out and it just worked. Like, his skating just kind of fell into place. But the downside with him is that he's a really bad defender right now. It's just, like, he's not great. But I'm not worried about it because he was 5'10 the last time we looked at him. Not many 5'10 defensemen are really great defenders, especially at that age, like at a 16-year-old age, going against some of the, the bigger guys in that league. Then he comes in, really no work on that. He's four inches taller. And it's still not a great defensive. He's got a longer reach. He's got to kind of work and, and figure out how to utilize that, how to kind of operate as a bigger defenseman now. I think you can coach all that. I think you can work him into being at least an average defender, if not better, once he kind of fills out a little bit. And again, he's lanky at 6,285 pounds. So he gets a little bit closer to 190, 200. Six, he could be 6'3", six, 6'4", six, by the time he makes the NHL as well. I think there's a really, really high reward, but it's a high risk again because you're risking in the sense that maybe he doesn't figure it out. Maybe he really just is a bad defender and he never and now he's just a really tall, bad defender. Yeah, he just becomes, <laughs> yeah. he's great offensively, but I mean, that comes at the cost of him being out of position, you know, making, uh, you know, putting his, uh, his teammates in, in bad spots. But the offense is great. The, you know, the transition play is Put him amazing. with Drysdale. We're good. Yeah, but like he he could like the if he figures it out just averagely defensively, which I think with the right coaching he can, you get a potential top pairing of Krachinski and Drysdale, where they could be two of the best transition defensemen in the NHL. There's something to be said about that, and I, I mean he has shades a little bit of Shea Theodore coming from the same program uh, in Seattle, where they you know they look like they could be very similar players. I think the high upside for him is to become a Shea Theodore type player which I think is obviously appealing for, for a lot of Ducks fans. I, I just really, really like the way he controls the game offensively. And in a future power play quarterback as a left-shot defenseman, I think the Ducks don't really have that. You know, He, he, he kind of becomes what you hoped Cam Fowler would be on the power play, just with a lot more puck skills and hockey sense. And not that Cam Fowler really lacks that, but there's just that offensive upside that I think of all the defensemen available in this draft even Nemec and Yurichek I think he has the potential to be five ten years down the road the defenseman who is the 40 50 point defenseman power play quarterback I think he's the only guy that profiles potentially to be that and again yeah the only detriment is is the defensive side of things and and that seems to be the case for you know Matichuk as well as Mintuyakov is the defense is the issue these guys are offensive juggernauts but Matichuk's 5'11 whether that's going to work out or not I don't know and for Mintuikov, he's kind of been big, and he plays tries to play bigger than he is. And I I don't know if you can work that right. Like I feel like there's a workable thing from a guy who went from five ten uh, to six two in a year, didn't get to play in between that, and is figuring things out. I think there's a workable project there. That's why I have him as kind of my ideal pick at uh, at number ten. Yeah, I think Pronman had the comp for him 
as Shane Goss's bear, mm-hmm. which that, you know, tall Goss's bear call uh, Yandel. Ice I think bear. that's most bear. <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of, you know, what you hope the floor is, is that he's a second pair offensive yeah. defenseman. The upside is Shea Theodore and him using that height and his wingspan and his stick and his skating to shut down on gaps, make, you know, stop plays in transition and things like that. But, um, yeah, Kuczynski is really interesting. I, um, the size and the growth happening so quickly to me, like you said, I, I think that's one of the things that helps kind of alleviate some of the defensive concerns just because it just changes the way you play. Like four inches is not insignificant. You know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, just the, uh, just what that does for his ability mm-hmm. to, you know, stop plays and shut down plays and, and, and increases reach, I think is, is pretty good. But I, I think <clears throat> it's interesting, right? Because I think you can look at the 22 pick and you can find guys that are that kind of defender or that kind of uh, offensive player. And uh, the, I think to me, the question at 10 between the offense and the defenseman, which is, which is the more complete skill set you want, right? Because like, I know it's an insane thing, but like you could, I guess maybe trade back from 10 or even at 10, just take Leon Michelle, who's six foot five, really good skater. He's got some nastiness to him. Um, you know, he's a left-handed guy. He can skate well. He seems like the kind of guy, like I, uh, Pronman has his confidence, Keandre Miller. You know, like, that's the kind of guy that you can play with Dreesdale, right? Like, if you have that bigger, meaner, nastier guy to play with Dreesdale, but he can keep up skating-wise. And not, again, yeah. Jamie Dreesdale is an incredible skater, so I don't expect Michelle to do that. But he's not going to fall behind and look like, you know, somebody's 80-year-old grandpa trying to catch up. And I think, you know, that is, is very enticing. Um, you know, there's questions about Michelle's upside as far as offense and how much of it will translate. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. I just think the opportunities at the end of the draft are really interesting because you've got potentially Lambert, you've got McGordy, you've got Fergus, you've got Snitterit. There are guys at 22 that makes sense to take a defenseman like you're saying at 10 with Korchinski, Menchikov, Matikov, or Matichuk. And it's just a really interesting thing to me. And I, I think the two picks more than any other year to me feels like they are interdependent. Like what you do with one probably dictates what you do with the other. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting because I don't ever feel like that was really the case before. Like even in the Perot draft, you know, it was like, okay, we got Perot at 29 or whatever, and then they took, I think that was the year they took OZ? No. Uh, no. The Perot that draft was Zegris at 9. Zegris? At 9 and Perot at 23. But who did they take in the, the second round? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, it might have been. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. Uh, no, Zellweger was last year. I, so it would have wow. been what, like Lacombe or Thrun? I think it was Lacombe, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, but, you know, I, I don't feel like any of the picks before have been as interconnected because they were far enough back at the end of the draft to where it's like, you know, you're not getting maybe a guy who's going to fall out of the lottery. Yeah. I, I think the thing for 10 that I prefer is that high upside. 
I'm willing to absorb the risk in some cases, and we'll, we'll break down these other defensemen as well and kind of what the difference of risk is there. But I think the risk, the high, as high as that risk is of him being a bad defender, I think it, it's workable more so than the other guys in Mintukov and, and Matichuk. And, and I think the fact that he grew four inches and the offense stayed and it got better and it still worked, you know, he still was able to manage that. Then the, the defense comes next. I think you can coach that. I, I think I'd rather take a guy with as high an upside as potentially to be the best defenseman or the best puck moving and, and offensive defenseman from this draft than to take the safe pick at 10, like a Bichelle, where you know he's going to be he's 6'5, he's a defensive defenseman. The offense might be not there. He's going to be, you know, a three at worst. But. Does the offense is the offense going to translate? I don't think you can teach the offensive skill that Kuczynski and Matichuk and Mintukov have. That's just you know, like physical gifts that they have. I don't think you can teach that um, as much as you can teach a guy who's just grown four inches to play defense a little bit better and use his size to his advantage. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out. We laid out Kuczynski. I'm gonna lay out Mintukov. Gonna lay out Matichuk and the the their skill sets and how they're different, similar. Their you know what their concerns are, and then. Uh, Jay, Steven, your pick on, on kind of which guy you're more comfortable taking and, uh, among those kind of profiles of players. We looked at Kraczynski, a guy who kind of just grew into the size, one of the best transition defenders, but defensively he's just kind of a mess right now. You've got Mintukov, who I guess is up there again as one of the top offensive defensemen. He's a bit more chaotic, I guess you could call it. Like he He's uh, controlled chaos in, in a sense. Like he gets forward he's a great transition player he makes the right pass he's really creative he's got some of the best puck skills and, and puck moving ability uh in the draft he's a really really good skater he's got some decent size at 6'1 192 but the decision making is is kind of the main issue there you know he he just defensively he's kind of too focused on what he's going to do when he gets the puck Rather than focusing on the defender, he's really reactive defensively because he is focused on, okay, when I get the puck, I'm going to do this. Um, he's kind of reckless in his zone exits. He's trying to make the big play. He's trying to make the big hit, puts himself out of position, puts his teammates in in bad spots by doing so. And there's this uh, comparison that I, I highlighted in red here. It's, it's reminiscent to watching Rasmus Ristolainen with the uh, Buffalo Sabres in the sense that he's always looking to make the big play. He's looking to make the big hit. He's looking to make the skilled play. And it ends up you know, working sometimes, and it looks great. A lot of times it doesn't work or it puts his teammates in bad positions. So he misses more than he hits, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And he's got the skill to make it happen. But, yeah, you can do that as a 6'192 192-pound defenseman against OHL junior competition. That doesn't fly at the NHL level necessarily. And can you coach that decision making into him? Can you, you know, can you sit him down and say, hey, listen, this is, you know, show him as many times as you can. This play where you went and tried to make the big hit, no, you can't do that. And sit him down. It's going to take a lot of video room work with him to get it done. It can. And if it does, I think he's, he's potential to be one of the better defensemen outside of Eurocheck and Nemec. Uh, but there is that concern where it's, again, it's not the inability to play defense is just the poor decision making and wanting to make the big play and wanting to make the big individual play and not really thinking about the defensive side of the game it's always okay i'm focused on the puck what i'm going to do when i get the puck and then sometimes that's that like instincts so like his instinct is to do that play and sometimes you can coach it out of him sometimes you can't yeah we've seen that with a lot of defensemen where 
it just never happens. And, you know, their projection of being a top four guy, they fall into that kind of fringe NHL player because when they get the puck in their stick, they can make magic. But the decision-making and and the focus on the defensive side of the game just isn't there. Um, And then for Matichuk, he is insane the way he plays defense there's not a lot of guys there's, there's really no comparables for for the way he plays uh the way that the team plays fits really well with him so if you get the right system he could do really well but he's smaller of, of the the three of them he's 5'11 194 pounds so he's built well but shorter under six foot maybe he could when he gets to the NHL level it could grow into six foot six foot one but he he's just so interesting because it is it, it's reckless in the same sense of Minchuka, but he is the focal point of everything. He had more, I think, more touches than any WHL defenseman. It was like 150 puck touches he averages per game, which is more than 50 above the average top pairing defenseman in the league. So he is the go-to guy in all situations. There are times where he's leading the rush in front of the first forward. He, when he gets in the offensive zone, he becomes the primary puck mover, which you don't really see from a defenseman, which at times, a lot of times, puts him out of position. Because if you mess up, he's got the skill to most of the time it's going to work and he can set up plays. But if he loses the puck or you know like it doesn't work, you're out of position at that point. You've left your defense pair uh, you know, in in a bad spot. So that's kind of been the you know the tough thing with him. But just such a great breakout player. Uh, his, his skating because of, of you know is the hallmark of his game because he can do all that it centers around his skating his mobility his agility uh, but the problem again is whether you can have that whether you can do that at the NHL level it's great that you can do that at junior and you can take advantage of the skill gap uh, between players but there are not many systems in the NHL that are going to allow you to do that there are not many coaches who are going to allow you as a defenseman to be that guy that leads the rush as a defenseman, we haven't seen it, right? Like, even McCarr, as good as he is, there, there's an understanding that you, you can't do that all the time. We've seen him go coast to coast and make that, but you can't look to do that on every play, right? He like, picks it out when it's right. Yeah, and, and that's the thing you're going to have to work with him. And the problem I think that a lot of people have is when you take that away, does that limit his game? Can he do everything else? Can he rein it in a little bit that it's you know it's it's manageable that it, you, we can get these flashes of this and he can utilize that offensive skill in a, a bit more of a less chaotic way than you do you do at junior and it's it's impossible to project with him because you, you'd really never seen it we've never seen a guy kind of do that and play defense the way he does he's he's actually a pretty decent defender I think of the three of them he's probably uh, even though he's smaller. He's a bit more well-refined defenseman. His backskating isn't great, but he makes good decisions defensively. It's just that chaotic nature of his offense where he needs to be involved in everything for it to work that there's a concern about can that project at the NHL level. And even if it does, are you going to get into a system or a coach that that works for? Because you essentially have to build your breakout in your team around him doing that if, uh, if he's going to come to the NHL and do that. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. 
They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So out of those guys, we've got the kind of chaotic, you know, decent defender, a little bit undersized, but can he mold his game to the NHL level in Matichuk? We've got Mintuyukov, who is a great transition defender, but he plays with this kind of nonchalant care about defense, not really a thought to it. It's more about focus on, on uh, you know, the when he's going to get the puck rather than, okay, let's focus on actually winning this battle and getting the puck first. And for Kaczynski, it's you know the, the probably the best refined offensive production of the game, but he hasn't figured out how to play defense with those extra four inches yet. Who who are you more comfortable taking out of those three guys? Kaczynski. Yeah. I I, I would say um, you, you add four inches to your height. That's going to add length to your limbs, length to your legs. All of a sudden, he's a little bit better skater, and maybe he figures out defense to, defensively what you couldn't do at five ten, you can do at six two, and then all of a sudden that that gap controls a little bit better. You realize that you can you can make that move to the side, cut off players, a little bit more well rounded, just physically in size and reach. So if he's already still got that offense going, and we haven't seen what he can do with that new height and that new uh, reach, I'd much rather take what I know I'm going to get out offensively and um, that size. You can't teach size. Uh, but uh, I feel like, uh, you know, we haven't had a chance to maybe really watch what he can do defensively now. Yeah. yeah n- next season is, is the big telling point for Kaczynski. But well, you got to pick him now. Yeah, you got to <laughs> so, pick him so now. So you can't wait, you know, that – that uh, season where he grew four inches and didn't get to play would have been great because you could have been yeah, able to see what okay, he could now do. Now I know what we got. Yeah, but yeah, so that, that I mean that's a tough point for all these guys is they are next season's huge. Can you make that development defensively? But um, yeah, Stephen, who, who who would you take out of those three guys if you had if you had to take one of them at ten? I think I would take Korczynski because he seems you know like I, like I said at the beginning when we talked about like questions I had going into this process, right? Like I. I love Zellweger, man. I hope he makes it. I'm still not sure that he's going to do it. You know what I mean? I just think it's really, really hard to be a five foot ten, five foot nine defenseman, and if you can get a guy with similar offensive dynamism, uh, then and you can kind of, you know, just pick up that extra height. I, I think you have to go Korchinski there. I, I yeah. think. For me, there are, like I said, I think there's some defensemen later in the round. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's in a couple picks later, like uh, Pickering or some of those guys that I think I would naturally be a little bit more inclined to go after, um, especially with some of the forwards available at 10. But I, I don't think Korczynski would be a bad pick. Yeah. Um, just because he would provide another offensive defenseman who could you know, submit, like could could take a pair over, right? You could put him and Dreesdale on separate lines, and now you've got guys who can skate the puck up the ice, create offense on, on, on different pairs. Yeah. 
um, you know, and maybe you play Korczynski, you know, with Hellison, right? And you have someone with a little bit more of that discipline, a little bit more of that gap control. Um, you know, uh, Hellison's got decent size. He's supposed to be a good skater. Uh, you know, so I, I think Korczynski would be the one out of the three. I like the uh, recklessness a little bit of, who was it, uh, Mitchcock? Uh, Matichuk, yeah. Matichuk, yeah. I, I just like that kind of recklessness. I think it's fun to have guys who are a little crazy. Um, you know, I, I just think sometimes when you have guys that don't think or play true to the center, I think you 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 can get really interesting opportunities to break plays wide open. Now, it can go the other way against you, like you said. But I, I do think there is something to be said for a guy who's just going to operate in a way you're not expecting. Yep. And what that means for his ability to uh, impact a game. Yeah, yeah I, I really like Denton Matichuk. The, the problem for me, uh, I, I don't know how he fits the system if all things pan out for the Ducks. Again, you have Drysdale 5'11", Zellweger 5'10", Matichuk 5'11". And they all are the guy that want to have the puck on their stick, taking the puck up the ice and being that guy. And Matichuk takes that to like 10 times above that where he needs to be the guy that gets all the touches. I I don't know how that works. And I think he needs the right system and the right coach for that to work. And I don't know if that's in Anaheim because I, I do think that if he doesn't, he could he, it, it couldn't work out for him. He could be one of those players where, again, the actual change of scenery potentially does work and he goes to a team that knows how to utilize him. But I don't know. if I'd rather take the risk in the player figuring out you know, his size and how to play defense and everything else like he can play in any system and, and you know that it's going to work versus having to build around this guy when you already have players who kind of do the same thing. And, and we, we spent half an hour talking about take the best player available and don't worry about how they fit in the system. But I think with him specifically, because of the way he plays, that he kind of needs to be that guy. And we've already got two guys who kind of project and maybe a bit of a lower level to do that. It's it's tough for me to pick him. He'd probably he'd be my second one, and I think Matukov is a great pick. Also, like I'm not saying because he's the third of the three that he's he's not a great pick. He really is a good player, and he can figure things out. And you can, you know, you can sit him down in the video room and go over what's wrong. And you know, if he's got the commitment, he can he can make it work. I think all three could be really good defensemen. But yeah, I think Krachinski seems right now for me to be the the top of the three. Uh, okay, we only got a couple more guys. I was going to mention Jonathan Lecker and Mackey, but he is really similar to Kemmel. One of the best shots in the draft. Good skill. Defense is okay. But he's just a bit smaller at 5'11", Swedish winger. So he, he really is kind of like um, Kemmel. They're very similar in, in, in that instance. Good one-timer. So we'll, we'll skip over him. The last two guys we have left, we'll finish with Brad Lambert because that's the most intriguing one. But we've already talked about this guy a little bit, Connor Geeky. Um, probably unique of any of the guys we talked about. It doesn't really, there's no similarities between some of the other guys we talked about. Maybe you could say a bit closer to, to Gauthier and, and Casper in a sense, but six foot four, 205 center, um, a, a bit of a safer pick projects is probably a middle six, third line, second line center. Um, but his skill, I think is what sets him apart where Casper and, Gauthier didn't really necessarily have that playmaking and that game-breaking skill. For a guy at 6'4", he's got the puck skills of you know some of the guys we've talked about that are around 5'10", 5'11". He's a really, really good playmaker. He's got uh, just an exceptional hockey sense. He knows how to make the right play. He's got good hands for a kid as big as him. He is a great two-way player. You know, He's still kind of figuring out, again, um, how to use that size to his advantage. But 
you know, he's it projects well to the NHL level that he's going to be a strong kind of off puck defender that he can play down the middle. Uh, if you know, I, I, it's not a you know an argument like it is with Casper and, and Gauthier that they could be a winger, they could be a center. I think for him, he's going to be a center. If he plays mm-hmm. at the NHL level, it, it is going to be down the middle. He's got a pretty good shot. He's got good in close work with his hands to to make good moves. There was a toe drag he made earlier in the season where he had like a second to get it off. He chipped it over the goaltender's stick one time to put it in the back of the net in front of the net. So he is got really good close work hands. You, he reminds me a bit of, of like, Getzlaff, not to the same point, but, again, a bigger guy, good playmaker, good puck-handling ability for a guy of his size. But then, you know, the skating, again, is is the issue with him. He needs to work on that. His agility isn't that great. Uh, you know, he, he relies too frequently on the passing and the playmaking sometimes where he could probably shoot the puck or make the safe play. He's, he's kind of looking to make the high, highlight real play. Uh, but, yeah, for him, I think the reason – yeah, at one point he was touted to be a top five guy or a top ten guy, and the reason he's kind of fallen a bit um, is that that skating and whether that can get to a level where it's at least NHL average to kind of highlight the rest of his skills. Yeah, I um, he's an interesting one because everything about his game is you like, right? He's got size, he's got creativity, he he looks like a guy who could. Uh, learn to use his size, like you said, with Ryan Getzloff to uh, make up for the fact that his skating isn't the strongest and do kind of, you know, like boxing out and posting up kind of things uh, on the half walls as far as distributing and different things like that. Um, But I think more than anything, the fact that he is going to be a center makes him an interesting choice but not the most desirable to me i think there are other centers who are a little bit more dynamic that i would be more inclined to take or guys who i can see moving to the wing uh and it not being an issue yeah uh, whereas with geeky you know i don't i don't know what happens like can you move geeky to the wing probably you know is that what you're going to want to do not really if skating's not as strong as point um you know, it's easier to have him in the middle and be able to distribute forward than have him on the wing and, you know, try to have him getting pucks in deep and skating and retrieving pucks and, you know, using his feet more than he should have to. Yeah, I think for him, like, if he he has the potential, if he reaches, you know, if he, if he works on that skating and the offense translates and, you know, he can become a high-level, you know, puck-moving big man center at the NHL level like he could be a 60 to 70 point player because he does have that individual skill mm-hmm. it's whether either the skating translates to get at least to an average level that he can you know he can keep up with guys in the NHL and at least drive play himself or that that playmaking ability is so good that he can offset that we've seen big guys that really can't skate that well offset it with just an exceptional level of skill and you put them with the right players and, and things get done. So he, he does have that upside in him. And the good thing yeah. is that if he doesn't hit, he's still likely to be like a three seat, even if the skating doesn't get to a level where it needs to be. Like he, he still, because of the size and, and the smarts and the playmaking ability he has, he should still be a pretty reliable, good player at the NHL level. Just maybe not that top tier where it's worth taking him at 10th. Yeah, I mean, we saw with Pastiov, right, that you can use creativity and skill to, uh, you know, in hockey sense, to work around 
the issues that you have with skating. Um, and the advantage that Geeky has is that he's much bigger than Bastiop, so he's got that size to be able to use. He's got reach and things like that. Um, as we also saw with Bastiop, is as the year went on, you know, the scoring dropped off and things like that because, it, you know, it, it can just be streaky. And when you have something that is a weakness like skating, it can make it a little bit harder to find that consistency just because you're struggling a little bit to get up and down the ice or, or you're caught out of position here and there. So I agree with you guys. <laughs> so right. yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Bolt, bolt prediction. Shane Wright drops the number 22 and we snag him. Hey, not bad. Huh? Not bad at just all. Live in that fantasy world. Um, okay, we're, we're gonna have we're gonna do a brief conversation about trades after this. We have one player left to profile for ten, and it's probably the most polarizing player in the draft. Um, and then we'll talk some trades a little bit. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but just kind of a nice wrap up on what we could see happen. Gibson, Chikrin moving up in the draft. A few other guys we could see target, but the player we got to talk about is Brad Lambert. The at one point before this year, the guy who was supposed to be the one who could rival Shane Wright for the number one overall pick. And uh, I don't think it's been a while since I think seen what guy that highly touted, just the wheels completely fall off. And now there's questions. Is he going to even be a first round pick? You know, is he going to make that point? And there's no question that he is the best skater in this draft. And he has the probably the highest hockey sense in terms of just individual puck skills and individual skill of anyone. Frank Nazar, Wright, Cooley, all of them. Like he is probably the most skilled player. The problem is, can't really put it together to get the the offensive production. He's playing in the top league in Finland, so it's always tough to produce. So he's not going to be ninety points in fifty games like Shane Wright. But the production just wasn't there. He went from one team to another team. The production got worse because he left that team to get more ice time and better opportunities, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't really work. He was playing about fourteen minutes a night uh, in a men's league. He's not small. So, again, he's only he's 6 feet, 183 pounds. So, there, it's not like, again, with some of these guys, the skating is great, but they're shorter. So, he does have the size. There's just this inability to understand why he can't put it all together. Why he can be the best. You know, there's no debate that he is the, the, the best skater and one of the most skilled players in the draft. But he puts up 10 points in 49 games and then 15 points in 46 games uh, the season prior to that. Like, he get, he got worse in terms of his production versus the year before that there's just no there's no real understanding for why he can't do it he does again sometimes try to make the difficult play to the highlight rate real play too much and and when you're playing in a men's league like you can't do that we've seen guys at the junior level where they do that but it pays off because the skill level isn't there i think he's trying to do that in a league that that's just not gonna fly and you cannot pull off the highlight real play as a 17, 18-year-old playing 14 minutes a night on the third line against guys who've been playing this league for 10 years. And at, you know, at some point have either you know, had a sniff at the NHL or played in the NHL or right out on the cusp of, of being that good. I just don't, I don't think it could fly. And, and I, I, it's just so, so polarizing that you can be that skilled but not put it all together. It's all right. We already got Sam Steele. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is the kind of some similarities there, right? Like the the yeah. skills that he had at the junior level, and then not being able to put it together, and not figuring out he had the production, but again, he was playing in junior. But it, yeah. it it's just it, it's so weird, and I, I haven't seen a fall like this from a player who was supposed to 
potentially go number one or, or at least number two at the uh, at the very least to still have that speed that it's not like that fell off to have that skill to show flashes of that skill but the production is there you just cannot put it together you can't seem to get that consistency where it puts you in that top tier of player yeah and i'm always scared about those those players because like well it's all kind of there maybe it just needs the right fit and then that right fit never happens and it just never yeah. translates and especially if he went from from one area and then he went to a new league to try and you know that was supposed to help that offensive upside and it still didn't happen how are you going to take that guy and then go like all right well now we're going to put you in the hl now we're going to put you in the nhl how if it's already not transferring very well between it's 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 risky so i mean mm-hmm. that's probably why they they end up dropping potentially out of the first round i mean it's a great skater is all but you know you know he's either got to redefine that role that he was gearing up for um and you know lower that expectation as far as his offensive output or something's got to click but you, you kind of take a risk if you're looking for well he's a top skater in the draft he should be a great first round pick and you kind of shy away from it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but like the thing that like way back the Sens pick, Alexander Dije or Di French name. Like <laughs> where, does, eh? Yeah, like where he had Dangle. the skill, he was very quick, but like the like they to be able to put it all together in a package where it makes sense just it didn't it didn't materialize for him. Where, I think like, it's Dag is what they I use. Think, yeah, Alexander Dag. Yeah. yeah. Like Lambert has the skill, like we said, has the speed, tries to make the highlight reel play every time that doesn't work. But then there's a sense like, does he have the hockey sense to understand how to use that skill set? Like he's got the physical gifts to be very quick and have quick hands and make the highlight reel play. But does he understand when to use it and how to utilize that skill set properly? I think that's the big concern of why he's fallen so much and what people are putting into why the production isn't there is, does he even know how to put it all together? And if he doesn't, how do you how do you coach that? Like I, I don't think you can. Like how do you how do you get him to put that all together and and understand that? Because you can't really teach somebody in the sense hockey sense, right? Like how do you how do you teach him to put that all together in a package that makes sense and, and how he can utilize that at the NHL level? And he, like there, he's the biggest wild card on draft day because he could still go in the top ten, but he could also go in the second round. I don't remember a prospect where I've ever said, yeah, they could go in the top 10 but yeah no they, he could easily fall out of the first round if nobody likes him it just takes that one team that really thinks they can work on it and, and fix him but i don't know he, he's apparently going to play in the whl next year he's seattle uh acquired his rights so maybe that changes things but it doesn't help fix things he goes from playing in a pro league to playing against kids again and he can just do everything that he's still doing, and that probably works better in the WHL, and it looks better. But again, when you get to the NHL level, you still can't do that. So it's it's so tough. At one point, I was I, I was in the boat saying, if you ha- if he's there at ten, take him. Mm-hmm. And now you know, looking going and looking at some of the clips and and reading some more reports on him and what the issues are, I I don't, I don't know if you touch him. Maybe you take him at twenty two, and if you think you can work on him, but I just don't know. I don't know how you help him put it all together. I don't know how you can do that. I've never seen anybody try to to piece that together like that. Yeah, it's kind of like I said, it's kind of like the the Sam Steele thing. It's you know he's you know it, he's there. It should be working, and it's not, and you can't figure out why. And uh, you know, so there's that risk of you know frustration or not panning out. Do you risk a first round pick, one of your two, uh, on that? 
that possibility so yeah it's it's the highest of rewards and the highest of risks because he yeah. could be the best player from this draft and he could also not he make the nhl like, it's, it's the complete polar ends of the spectrum there and i, I again like i said I, I don't think i've ever i've ever seen that gap in you could be number one or you could be zero games in the nhl like it's 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 unbelievable yeah i think for me the because I know that when we first started talking about some of this draft and the prospects and stuff, like, you know, Brad Lambert isn't a real person, obviously. Um, but, you know, I was I was on that train with you, man. Like, you know, the raw tools are there. The ability is there. I'd rather take a risk on someone uh, with the phenomenal upside and the incredible athleticism that he has. And, I, you know, I've just started talking myself out of it. And part of it is... Uh, you know, like we've said a couple times already, like we know that the two things that are really important to for Beak are compete level and hockey sense. And he doesn't have either of those. It seems to be an issue on both levels. And the thing for me, like Jason was saying, is like, can he put it all together? Like the question, like it just gets like you can't have you you can't not have both of those. You can be super smart and have issues with compete, and it's just about getting you to engage and stay active and engage. Or you can have, you know, minimal hockey sense and incredible compete, and now you're out there, you know, doing kind of what Brett talks about, right, which is just out-efforting everybody. But with the level of athleticism that he has, you can get more out of that compete. You can pull more out of it you know because you can beat guys on a straight line skate you have the ability to go wide and wrap around like the skating and the stick handling and stuff like that like it's it's all there the question is just what happens when he gets to the other end of the ice you know and he's almost like just skating into the boards um you know it's hard like to me yeah even at 22 i think there are other players like, this is insane, but I'd almost rather take Jagger Furkus. I just like that kid's his build, like not his, but like his 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 his. his attitude, he's put it right? all together. It's just for him, it's the size. He knows yeah, how to I play the game, it. and he knows how to I put his skills like his together. Attitude, right? Like yeah. I think we talked about this before, but like I love that they were like, "Are you worried about being too small?" He's like, "No, I've been small my whole life. I don't want to give a shit. Like, <laughs> I just this is who I am. Like you don't think I can play? That's fine. But like I, you know, this isn't new to me." I love that, man. I love that so much. So much more than someone who has all these raw gifts and just seems to have this level of apathy about it. And, you know, I was, like I said, I was big on taking him earlier. The, you know, part of that made me think about it is the NFL draft in Houston taking the kid Stingley, uh, second or third overall, I can't remember. And he was one of those guys that, like, at LSU, they were worried about because he looked disengaged and stuff. And it's like, well, he basically was the best corner in his conference his rookie year or his freshman year. So, you know, what is it? And I was like, oh, maybe that's what it is for Lambert. Maybe he's just – he's not engaging because he doesn't feel like it's a difficulty thing. But he's not producing enough yeah. for thing, yeah. that to be the thing you're looking at, right? The numbers don't really track – with that being the case you could be really so, good put up a lot of numbers and just be disengaged because it's too easy like we felt that was the case in a sense for jacob perot where when he was playing in sarnia the team wasn't good he was really good he was putting up numbers but he just didn't care it seemed like and now mm-hmm. he's kind of adjusted that in the ahl but lambert's not putting up points so it's not even like he's producing at a high level and he could just be like yeah this doesn't matter like he 
and and, and it's, it's showing in, in his falling of his stock. I, I I have no idea where he'll go on draft day. I don't think he gets taken in the top ten, but there there will be a team with with a couple picks, maybe you know Arizona or somebody like that, who ends up taking him and just swings for the fences and hopes. That, and like I could honestly see Arizona doing it because they they have nothing to build from right now. They're starting from scratch. You got to you know a fifty. I forget what their second pick is like in between fifteen and twenty. I think just just do it. Take the shot. You're gonna get Cooley <laughs> probably at three. Hope that he hits. If he doesn't, whatever. Like it's the first year of your rebuild. Go for those guys who could be the best players in the draft. If you're you're a team like that. Me. I feel like Arizona's been in rebuild for five years, and they're gonna be in rebuild for the next five years. That's why they gotta I take just a want shot the Ducks. <laughs> I just want the Ducks to take uh, at number twenty-two. This guy Jimmy Snuggerud. Snuggerud. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just want that name. I just gotta see it on the back of a jersey. And then listen to Hayward or Allers have to say Snugger Road every time. <laughs> that's what I want for number I twenty-two. <laughs> um, all right, so that's our that's our our projections for ten. Um, if if you had to, if you remember the guys that we talked about, if you had to pick a guy to, of those guys to take at ten, who are you taking? Steve or Jay? Are you still going with Casper at ten? Uh, Mar- Marcos was he? Marco Casper, yeah. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay. I'd take him for sure. Steven, who would you take of all those guys at 10 if you had the pick? Realistically. Yeah, I'm going to say I I would probably take Frank Nazar. I think the upside is way too high, and I think the downside is minimal. Yeah. I I, I think if he's there, it'd it'd be tough to not take him uh, for Nazar. If not, for me, it's it's, uh, Krajinski, and maybe Casper. I, I do really like that. That side, everything that he brings. I just don't know. The upside for me is the only concerning part. Is, is I like the the high upside, even if there's a risk with some of these guys. But he he just you know what you're going to get with him, and it is a nice, really nice pick to take. You know you're going to get a guy who's going to work hard and he's going to play it for your team. Unless what future. you need in a second or third line, dude. Yeah, you gotta have one of those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. at least one. Yeah, right. I mean, I think the, the top two for me would be those two, Casper and Nazar. Okay. All right, trades. We talked about it a little bit. We, you know, we we discussed moving up, moving into it. Maybe not so much moving up in picks, but of players we could get rid of, players we could acquire. We've talked Gibby. Do you think Gibby gets moved at the draft? Because I, I think that's the only logical place he gets moved. I don't think he, I think if he doesn't get moved at the draft, it's really hard to go into free agency where teams are going to go out and get those goaltenders, the Kempers, the Flurries, the Campbells, and make a trade because the the market is going to st- slowly start going away when they start signing goaltenders in free agency and getting desperate yeah i'm i'm 50 50 on if gibby gets moved like i i think it all comes down to what verbeek wants to do and if if he really the thing is like whoever's gonna want to take him is gonna be pretty close to the cap like they're just missing a goalie or something like that um and you know even for it to work you're actually moving up relative standards what the team has you're moving out a lot of money and we got to hit the the floor (laughs) we're not even at the floor yet so a lot of what you're going to do is all right i've got to move them but i'm also going to have to probably retain some money and who wants to do that for the next five years to have another goalie play against you so especially someone like that so uh i can see both sides of it uh it just depends if verbeek is ready to move on from gibson and his plan is dostal's coming in you know, Stolars can can hold the fort down in the meantime, and I can get uh, you know King's ransom for what I'm going to get for Gibby because it's going to have to be probably a lot of prospects and again, draft picks, and then some sort of cruddy goalie in return. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I like the thought Eric Stevens put forward of the 210 swap with Blackwood and Gibby. Um, I think that makes sense for both teams. Uh, I think the other one for me is Philly. Um, I think if Anaheim took back James Van Riemsdyk, um, they, you got know, the, they got Carter Hart, and that's all they care about. But yeah. I don't know that they do. But here's my thing. They want to compete right now, and Carter Hart has been inconsistent. Now, I do think John Tortorella is going to put a team in front of him structurally that will help him improve. But I also think you could just as easily make that same argument for Gibson and say the downside is a lot lower because there's a little bit more proof of concept with Gibby. It's been a couple of years. I get that. But I really do think he would bounce back incredibly strong behind uh, a John Tortorella team. Uh, so, you know, maybe if it helps them move out a guy like Van Riemsdyk in the process, right? Maybe you do it like, you know, Gibby and Comtois for Van Riemsdyk and Hart and Five or something like that, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe you send, like, Callie Klang the other way or somebody like Erickson Eck uh, as far as, like, having a young up-and-coming goaltender to give them to replace Hart, but also giving them a guy who's a quality starter. Uh, yeah, it that, feels... Go ahead. What were you going to say, Jack? I just don't see it. <laughs> I, no, I, think, I think they're all in on Carter Hart. I think they realize that they haven't necessarily given him the support system, uh, and then maybe that changes to Tortorella, but even, even then, putting Gibby in instead of Hart, isn't going to solve their problems. Their problems are, are systematic uh, versus uh, oh, the goaltending talent. So I don't oh, think Gibby don't solves that problem. That and then what are you going to do if you have Hart and Gibson? What are you doing for the next five years? You just yeah, – someone's no, got to go. <laughs> the Flyers yeah, don't have a lot of time. They, they've got to figure That's something out soon. That's the problem is they have been told from ownership or from whoever's in charge, because like, I think they're technically run by like Time or Cable or some shit. Um, but or NBC, something like that. it doesn't matter. Sure, yeah. Anyways, but like <laughs> they seem to be saying, like we're not rebuilding, we're doing this, and Sean Couturier isn't getting younger. You know, uh, they just signed Rasmus Ristolainen into that ridiculous extension. Like, I don't know that this team is clearly is thinking clearly, and I think the allure of a player like John Gibson could be enough to make somebody do something silly. I, I agree with you. I don't think John Gibson <laughs> fixed their problems, but I don't He's know. He's more likely to go to Toronto, I would assume, and we could possibly get something good back from that. But then once again, it's just... See, I don't think... Yeah. I think Toronto is the least likely of all the places that have an opening. Okay. Because I just don't think... They're, they're not high on Campbell. So, oh, Campbell. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think they can't afford him. Uh, the, the the thing the thing with me for Toronto is they're in a very tough spot not really being able to afford anybody like they can't even discuss really bringing Campbell back any trade for any goaltender um, is going to involve Mrazek going back the other way because they decided to sign him to like a three point eight million dollar deal so which is so <laughs> so so stupid there's not a lot of contracts but it was so good that about. one time in Carolina yeah uh, I, I, I didn't understand they they thought it would make sense with Campbell only making three and a half that the two of them making like seven whatever combined would be enough to get a cup and they wouldn't care about it. Didn't work out for them. Um, yeah. 
So with Toronto, he'd have to come back, which is fine. I mean, you could run. Which is fine, but I think also the Ducks can make that work. You know, to not only sweeten the deal is they could take back some of John Gibson's contract because we're so yeah. far away from the the floor that that helps Toronto and also gives them another incentive for us to get a younger player, or someone to take some more money off their hands, give them more mobility because they're not that far away. Uh, not that John Gibson's the the savior on it, but if if you can't bring Campbell back, Morazic's not your answer. You, where are you going to go? Um, yeah. And Gibby is on, you know, a relatively for his skill set, a relatively nice contract. And if the Ducks are taking some of that back, one, one and a half, like it better. makes it makes it easier. I think there's only a handful of teams that could get John Gibson. I, th- I think Eric Stevens put an article right where he'd identified seven teams that the Ducks could mm-hmm. go to. Uh, it was uh, an article for the fourth period today that the Capitals, again, were one of the teams I think that Eric Stevens suggested as a team that would be interested in John Gibson. The thing for me, and it, it kind of lines with what you're saying, Jay, about why trade him if you're not getting anything decent in return for him, it, they have to get an offer that you you know some team comes and gives you an offer you can't refuse. And there's a few teams out there. I just I don't think they can do it. Like Washington, I don't know what they they can offer. That is like, yeah, I gotta trade John Gibson for that. Their prospect pool isn't that great. I'm not a huge fan of Connor McMichael and Hendrick Laperriere, who are their top two young players. Um, you know, their first round pick isn't super valuable. I think it's like 19 or something like that of where they draft, or you know, maybe it's even later than that. Um, and any of their later picks with John Gibson are going to be, you know, you would assume later than that one because John Gibson solves a lot of problems for them because Vanacek and Samsonov just did not pay Samsonov. Yeah. Samsonov. And, and you're taking one of those guys back too. So maybe you take Samsonov and you run him with, with, with Stolars or whatever. You take Vanacek and they run Samsonov and Gibson. I don't know. I, I think that's the best fit for Gibson. I think it's a team that makes the most sense for him. The only problem, they don't really have anything that I think would be worth it for Anaheim to go get. Um, you know, you look Minnesota, maybe, but I don't think they can afford them. You'd have to retain on that. They've got some good prospects, but I, I don't think that's going to make sense for them. And Fiala would have been a big piece that you say, okay, you could bring back, but now he's in LA, so that doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, yeah, you know, New Jersey, we've talked about a little bit. Philadelphia, sure. Toronto. You know, Real quick, I yeah. just want to say because, like, I, I was really curious about what you were saying about free agency and how that might affect um, whether or not he has to be moved at the draft. And I, I think normally that makes a lot of sense. It's a big contract. It's an, a, at least the player still has somewhat of a name. You know, his name has been out there for a couple of years now. Um, and I so I looked at the free agents, and the free agent pool is not good. Like yeah. of goalies who played over twenty games, Kemper, Flurry, Campbell, uh, and now Craig Anderson, DeSmith, Tukarski, Grease, Lankinen, Joe, Martin Jones, Billy Huso, Jack Campbell, Flurry, and Kemper. Yeah, so Huso and those three. Yeah, that's really that's it. it. Like, and Huso, Huso is no one year good. The rest, not nothing to but to fall back on. That you're taking a gamble getting Billy yeah. Huso. And Darcy Kemper is not good. He was barely good enough for them to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you mean Cup. Stanley Cup champion? Yeah. Darcy Kemper? Yeah, the dude no, who was okay. Okay. barely good enough to win the yeah. Stanley Cup. In, in, like, individually, <laughs> he, he, you know, they, I, I think with Colorado, it's, it's so weird because they, like, Frank Coos looked amazing when they played. And I think you, I think Colorado is one of those teams that can get away not having, like, a Vasilevsky. Like, I think they can play without it. So I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, what did you know, I tell you? What did I tell you the other day? The, the best goalie in the world for them, Freddie Anderson. 
Yeah, it would I, be a perfect well, goalie for them. That, that yeah, the the three way trade we discussed is is something mm-hmm. like the the three way trade to go from two to to six and twelve with Columbus. Right, like baby. it's yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that like it it Dude, makes sense. Nerds. Like I I get it. I think for Colorado they're they're in such an interesting position because I think Gibson could be a good fit for them. I think if the Ducks retain a little bit of salary on it, if they take back like we we talked about for EJ, yeah. EJ and and the six million he has next year. Um, yeah, you know, it frees up some cap space for them to go add somewhere else to maybe bring Kadri back if they wanted to do that, even though I think he's going to go get paid and go somewhere else, but to, you know, mitigate that loss and add somebody else. Like there, there are some creative ways you could, you could make a trade like that work. And then that gives Colorado their goaltender for the next, whatever, four or five years that he's under contract to really make a run at it. Um, I think the most likely option is Kemper comes back on a team friendly deal and they just keep him. Or they go out and they just every year they just sign somebody else. Like they sign Flurry this offseason and run Flurry and Francis. And when Flurry's gone next year, they go and get somebody else for one or two years and they just try hey, and do you cycle have a pulse? through that. All right, you're in it. Yeah. So they, they could do that. And we'll they, take care of the rest. And they, and they just do a 1A, 1B with Francis and whoever they get and just hope that, they, you know, they're a good enough team that they can just have an average goaltender and make it work. I think it's possible. Um, but I, I do think. If they want to make a swing of things, I don't see anybody enticing above Kemper in free agency where the only real option to go out and get a good goaltender and trade for is John Gibson. And with Colorado, I think they have the assets to make it worthwhile for Anaheim. I know their prospect pool has started to kind of go down a bit, but I think if you're the Ducks and you're retaining salary and taking EJ's contract back, I think that's where you could look at a player like Alex Newhook and be like, yeah, that's the guy we want if we we're going to make this happen. Whether Colorado's willing to move on from a really good young player like that, that's going to be tough. But I think that's the type of deal. If you're Anaheim and you're going to move John Gibson, you got to get something worthwhile. You can't sit back and look at this trade, you know, three or four years from the and have nothing to show for it. You need to get something. And even if that's the really only the main piece from the deal, and there's not much else to it other than like Alex Newhook, that, that you, you got to do it. I think at that point. But the, I, I just don't know if any team's going to come and offer what it would take yeah. to get them. And the Ducks would be, I, I think the Ducks don't move them, uh, you know, in my opinion. I mean, there's always that chance if someone blows you out of the water, but yeah. I don't think anyone's going to do that. I don't think the fact that Gibby's numbers have been all that great the last three seasons, although, in my opinion, not his fault, mm-hmm. um, you know, or at least not a majority of his fault. It's the team, kind of the team in front of him. But the Ducks are fine going through this next year with him. And let everything else kind of happen. And there's going to be teams next year that are going to be dying for a goalie. And once again, he's now he's even more attractive to teams because now he's got one less year on that. And now they need a goalie and whatever didn't work out. So as long if it's as he has a good amazing year. deal right now, there's next year. And next year we'll be having the same conversation. If the you know the Ducks are obviously not going to be in contention for the Cup this uh, upcoming season, we're going to be right back. Well, we got this guy. He's still kind of viable and uh, you know definitely huge among GMs. Everyone holds him in high regard, even if some fans don't. Um, so I just I don't feel like there's any pressure to do it, and I just don't think anyone's going to overpay yeah. at this point to make it happen. So yeah, no, I, I said fifty fifty right now, fifty one forty nine. Yeah, I I don't think there's any pressure for the Ducks to move him. You know, I think if he doesn't play well next year, you run the risk of the value getting lower because then it's four straight seasons of not playing that great. But you are right; like it does just take one team to to be in that same mindset that it's not him, it's the team in front of him to come in and say, okay, we want this guy, even after potentially another bad season next year. Um, The thing I like about this year is if you get the right offer, is that he is the only guy. Like, the free agent market is not hot for goaltenders, 
There's nobody really in there. There's not a lot of other goaltenders up for trade. There's a decent amount of teams looking for a goaltender, and he is the main name on the market. If you want a guy that you know can be like the guy, the starter for your team, he's the guy that you go get right now. I haven't looked at free agents next year. Who knows what other goaltenders will be available next year. But you know right now that he is that guy. He is the top goaltender available. I think he'll be that guy next year. He could be. He he could be for sure. I'd I have to look at who's free agents next year and what goaltenders could be available. I just I you run the risk again of him having a bad season and more teams being like, okay, maybe this is maybe this is who he is now, right? So, but you can move him. Like you you'll still be able to move him, right? Like that's uh, I, I agree with that. You don't move him unless the deal is worth it. Uh, you're not actively trying to get rid of him at this point. So, uh, yeah, I agree Great with position that, to be sense. in. Yeah. I yeah. could move a franchise goalie, but uh, I don't really need to. Yeah, as long as you, <laughs> Couple, as you what do you got? want. And, and it sounds like that's what the way Verbeek is going to take it is. Hopefully. Whether he gets the, you know, the he needs to get the right deal to, to move him. There's no pressure whatsoever. Yeah. But, all right, let's talk about, last thing, who the Ducks could get some of the big names. Mm-hmm. Do you think they go out and make a move to bring a guy in? We've heard them linked to Chikrin. We've not really heard them linked to Debrinket. We've kind of just associated with them with Debrinket. Hopefully, like it's a hope. <laughs> yeah. Wish list. Yeah, and, and other than that, like, they haven't really been linked. Like, Fiala was one they were linked with for a bit, and then when it came down to the wire, they, they weren't. Yeah. So that makes you wonder, like, for what Fiala ended up going for, is it just that Minnesota really liked Brock Faber, or were the Ducks just not really interested in doing that? Well, you know, Verbeek has said he's willing to make any type of move to make the team better, whether that's moving prospects and picks for younger players, for moving picks for other players, for moving up in the draft, moving down in the draft. Like, he's really willing to do whatever. Do you, do you see the Ducks making a move outside of trading up in the draft or moving players out to get a Debrinket, a Chikrin, or somebody lower level than that? They got to do something to fill out their defense, and they got to do something to kind of add some forwards, and they got to do something to meet the floor. Um, I think they probably do things that bring on huge contracts of uh, players who are about to go out. Like they've got a year or two now where they can take those bad contracts, get more draft picks, get more prospects, get that thing up and running. Um, and they have that room and they've got to spend money. Like they, they can't avoid it at this point. Will they bring in some, some veteran guys to try and keep this team somewhat watchable uh i think they do that in a sense because you you can't keep zegris and the younger guys and everybody in just a culture of listen we're gonna suck so we're not even gonna try so don't you bother trying either and we're not really gonna put a team together we're just gonna on paper we have enough money to make this happen so they got to put something that's watchable out there that you know it probably come in the form of more veteran but you know they're not gonna be swinging for the fences trying to get, you know, huge deals if they have a young player that they can get and use some of their assets to move around. I'm sure they will. Um, but, you know, they're going to get people, but I just don't think it's going to be like this. We're getting the top top free agent, top two free agents, you know, and we're not doing that, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't – it doesn't make sense to me. I just I, – I, well, like, I don't – The ask for some of these guys is insane, right? Like, Debrinket is like – for high first yeah. it'd be like the 10 you know zellweger so, yeah. plus 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 like it's insane so my my brain twitched up trading for a chicken or to bring cat makes sense to me going out and getting a big name fa does not make sense to me yeah i don't see the benefit of going out and getting a free agent since none of the free agents are younger than 27 and none of the ducks are going to be ready in the next year 
you know what I mean, as far as turning it into a competing roster. I think going after a guy like Chikrin and bringing him in to help build uh, what you have, I think makes a lot of sense. I think going out and getting a guy like Dabrinkit, um, you know, what is going on in Winnipeg? Are they going to fall apart? Are they going to do this, right? Do you want to go out and maybe get a guy like Kyle Connor? But even then, he's a little bit older. Um, I think there will be players available that are worth looking into. But I am with Jay. I would expect two or three deals worth total about 17 to 20 million being on the books for next year. I think James Van Riemdijk, James Van Riemdijk is far more likely to be on this team uh, than Alex to bring it. You know what I mean? I think uh, I would have said the same thing about uh, Shea Weber over Jacob Chikrin. You know, um, I, I the thing that makes me pause is how quickly does Verbeek want to put his mark on this? Because as much as the the deadline, um, you know, was a little bit different from what Anaheim fans are used to, I don't think he did anything anything major, right? He just sent out some UFAs. And he was just like, I'm not losing these guys for nothing. We're going to send them out the door and we'll go from there. So, you know, I mean, there's already talk of Manson maybe being interested in coming back or Anaheim being interested in Manson coming back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just, it makes far more sense to me that they're going to go out, look to get a pick or a prospect from some of these teams and take on a bad deal or two. I would love to see him go out and get Chikrin. I think he would be a perfect guy uh, to bring in based on time, uh, time, timeline, skill set, age, mm-hmm. uh, the contract he's on, all that kind of stuff. I think he would make a lot of sense. Yep. You know, to bring it would be great, but I'm not. There's less time with that contract. He's RFA arbitration eligible at the end of this year, so yeah, you sign him to like nine, something. nine and a half next year, pretty much. So I mean, yeah, if you can get him at eight, that's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, because he's, especially if he is playing with a guy like Zegris or Terry, like, there's a good chance that he could just become a 50 goals for You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's got that kind of ability. So, you know, I, I, I think there are a lot of questions. Um, but I would expect any trades and I makes to more than likely be for futures. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun day. Um, this Again, who the Ducks could draft, whether they move up, whether they make trades. I think it's all up in the air. It's the first kind of offseason we've had, obviously, uh, with a new GM in a long time. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, the Ducks have a lot of flexibility with the amount of cap space they have, with the amount of draft picks they have to really go out and approach it in any way they want. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. One thing I would say is if they don't make any trades, it's not a failure. It's not a failure of a deadline. It just means whatever was out there just didn't make sense for the team. I don't think there should be any, any expectations that the Ducks need to move John Gibson, that they need to go out and acquire DeBrinkert or Chikrin to have an, uh, a successful offseason. If they go through this draft and they just drafted every position that they have right now, that's fine. I don't have any issues with that. I, I don't think they're in a position right now where they have to make moves, they have to move guys out, or they have to bring things in. I know there's a lot of people that I've seen that are in that mindset, which is fine, that are, are saying that you know the Ducks have to do something at the draft to, to for it to be successful i think there's a lot of time to to still do that to to bring in bad contracts if you want to use that cap space to go make trades or uh during free agency and after that for for it to be fine but uh, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for things to happen uh, at the draft and we're only four days away so it's going to be a lot of fun 
But uh, we're over two hours, so we're 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 pushing it here. Um, Sorry, everyone. Uh, we knew this one was going to be long, though. This this one, these ones are always long. We had a lot of players to profile, a lot of stuff to talk about for the draft. So it's, it's all right. Watch it in two parts. If you made it through this whole two hours and ten minutes or whatever in in one part, you got yeah. a lot of free time, and, and I appreciate you sticking yeah. around. Just like us, apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Get back on here. Looking forward to the draft on. I don't know what I was gonna say Friday. I don't even know what day the seventh is. Just Thursday, on this Thursday, on the seventh on on Thursday. Um, yeah, first round of Thursday. Yeah, we and we might we might do something live for that job. I don't know. It just depends on how the schedule works. I I might jump on yeah. at least for round one uh, to look at the first two picks that they get in potential trades. That that's the plan. But we'll see how it pans out. Uh, anything you guys want to sign off with before we head out? Or no, go. goodbye, losers. Oh, go America. Um, that's on Monday. Yeah. So there's that, Eddie. Yeah, Canada Day was a couple days ago. So No one cares. No one cares. We're talking about America now. Just sit back. Know your place. Eddie was feeling his oats earlier about Canada Day. He was feeling himself. He was talking mad shit. Uh, Was he? Yeah. Uh, That's cute. Canadians get all mad. I know. (laughs) Don't ignore us, Eddie. We're talking to you. Huh? 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 Yeah. Huh? yeah. No, sorry. You, you, I had no yeah, say in this. I thought. I thought I had no say. I can't talk about Canada. Day. I got no say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, um, I know. Yeah, uh, we're pretty sure we got somebody lined up for after the draft to talk go over some of the prospects that Aaron took. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. And then is it me? It's Pat. Well, we were yes, going to have Pat. Yeah, it, he's our, he's our oh yeah, no, here. he's really good at that stuff. Yeah. 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 He's huge into it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, he's been around the entire time. We've been no, doing this kind yeah. of stuff. He's had a great relationship with Bob Murray, so you know, yeah, he's I mean, well, he's, well he's, connected. He's, yeah, he's, he's the uh, the new Bob McKenzie, and he knows everybody and talks to everybody. That's why he hasn't been on. He's been yes. he's been grinding. He's just so busy, just talking to all he's the big, NHL. He's big time now. <laughs> Rinky dink operation we got going. <laughs> all right well thanks for sticking around guys uh we will be back uh after the draft with uh, our preview show we've got a few other things planned for the off season as well we gotta look at free agency too so we'll get into that uh, after july 7th I think free agency begins on the 13th which is weird we're used to it being on the first but uh appreciate you guys coming out and we will see you on draft day take care everybody bye everybody bye guys